powered by the Perdomo Scott Studios in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Central Florida Media Compound and the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Azle, Texas. Welcome to Primetime Special Edition 121. Tonight, it's our five-year anniversary show, and it's a reunion of sorts with Pete Johnson of Tatawai Cigars and the one and the only George Brightman. And as always, Primetime Special Edition is sponsored by Perdomo Cigars, Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal. The Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has been consistently earned the highest scores in the industry as a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth creamy Ecuadorian cabinet, a rich earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combine these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and fillet tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Promo Scott is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Promo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Promo State Selection Vintage, the Promo Double-Aged 12-Year Vintage, the Promo 20th Anniversary, Promo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Promo Abano Bourbon Barrel-Aged, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Menso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and tasting information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And want to mention Aganorso Leaf. Great Leaf makes great cigars. Aganorso Leaf stands out because of the distinctive flavor of their Corojo 99 and Criollo 98 seeds, cultivated by Cuban agronomists on the best lands in the Jalapa and Esteli, Nicaragua. When you smoke one of that JFR, JFR Lunatic, Guardian of Farmer, Casa Fernandez cigars, you experience a unique taste and aroma that makes Aganorso Leaf special. Smoke one today and enjoy the signature flavor of Aganorso Leaf. And of course, we want to mention our friends at Jerry Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars of Cuba, it's a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Of course, this is one of the most challenging ones to cultivate. It fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now, with Jerry Tobacco, Hunis and Husto bring their very own brand to market, each containing that authentic Corojo leaf. Aldino is available in 100% authentic Corojo Puro, San Andreas Maduro, Ecuadorian Connecticut Shade, Honduran Grown Cameroon, or Albano Wrapper representing the Golden Age of Scars from 1947 to 19. Now, above your local retailer, be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, the legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And finally, we want to mention Drew Estate. Check out and download the Drew Devil Man app for your mobile device. Keep up with everything going on Drew Estate. Experience the subculture that is the rebirth of cigars. It's available on iTunes or Google Play. For more information, check out www.drewdiplomat.com. And as always, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network shows is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate, as well as the California Studios for our Thursday Primetime show. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Special Edition 121. Today is Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. Will Cooper, I'm not in the Perdomo Scar Studios in Indian Trail. I'm at the Central Florida Media Compound, which seems to be an annual year. I, I, we always manage to do a special edition from here. Um, I am actually, it looks like I'm outdoors. I'm actually indoors. Unfortunately, some bad storms came in, and uh, I don't want to chance another round coming in and wetting the equipment. Uh, but I got to thank, uh, I'm here with my family, actually, uh, and we have 
all my kids here, which is a rarity these days. And of course, um, I just want to mention the, there was a, this is a makeshift sh setup because the camera, I broke the camera setting it up on a tripod, of course. So, um, and then my wife helped out tremendously with the lighting here. It was a mess. So uh, my daughter, Kayla, my wife, Lisa, they got the show on tonight and uh, we have the, everything going, but Bear, how are you doing? I've been yakking around too much here. Goop, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. That five, yep, five, five years. Five years. I thought it was actually the same day, but it actually was yesterday, technically. We were, we were off by one day. It's okay. We one Better day. late than never. Better late than never. Better and late and late. Bear, you know, I know we'll get, we're going to get into our show in a couple of minutes, but uh, this, this show, uh, Bear proposed this idea for me. Uh, at a time where I really, uh, I had a lot of stuff juggling. He's like, how can I help you? I said, we got to get the five-year anniversary show going. Um, and he came up with a, a lot of ideas. And those other ideas are going to make some, some great shows. But I think this one was the one that we picked uh, that was just like a no-brainer. Yeah, absolutely. I, it was, I think for a lot of reasons, what we'll find out tonight and our audience will find out and is... Uh, uh, for, for a lot of reasons for me personally, uh, the, the two gentlemen that we have on tonight's show are a huge reason why I'm actually sitting across from Same you here. all tonight. Same so, yeah. so, um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to bring them on and it was a really cool concept. Uh, and I'm glad you agreed with me, uh, cause we don't always agree, even though a lot of people think we do. <laughs> no, I mean, but, but I mean, all the ideas that you came up with, I don't think there was, I think there was one that was a little more complicated maybe to get done but um otherwise but but it's not something we can't get done it was probably just in a time frame it was gonna be tough but like i said they were all great ideas you know so you know it, it bear, it, you know i gotta mention this too uh one thing i'm really proud of, of the coop team is this whole team and i know i'm gonna jinx it at some point we've been this whole team's been together from day one uh we mm -hmm. haven't been shifting hosts in and out if anything we've added people you know, obviously Ben's with Smoking Syndicate, you know, Aaron Nielsen's, of course, Aaron Loomis has been here, Dave Burke on the, so we've added all these, these players in here um, and we've kept the teams together. Uh, and certainly you and I have for five years been doing this and that's a huge milestone because uh, there's not a lot of shows that have been, or media brands that have been able to do that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to, I mean, it's, I mean, it's been fantastic for me, obviously, but it's really nice to, you know, that, to have that kind of consistency in anything these days. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's been a, it's been a phenomenal journey. I'm really looking forward to the next five. Uh, I can't believe we've been doing this for half a decade. Yeah. Uh, when, when we hit 10 years, I, 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 I don't know what we'll do, but we'll, we'll figure something out. Maybe we'll, we'll, maybe we'll bring these two gentlemen back. So, yeah. Um, so if, uh, if, if it, uh, if it pleases, if it pleases my co-host, I'd like to do the yeah. introductions tonight. No, I wanted you to do it because last week you wanted to do it and I didn't see the note. <laughs> so I felt bad. I'm like, you're definitely doing it tonight. So go ahead, man. Of course. Absolutely. Well, without further ado, it's my, it's my, it's my pride. It's my pleasure. And it's my distinguished honor to welcome tonight's guests for the fifth anniversary of Cigar Coop Prime Time Special Edition. Misters George Brightman and Pete Johnson. Gentlemen. Welcome back to primetime. Howdy. Hey, thanks, Bear. Very kind. Uh, and by the way, um, it's, a, it's a privilege uh, and, uh, and a pleasure to be with you uh, as well. So, you know, I mean, uh, the, the feeling is mutual. Consider it a two-way street. But I have one suggestion before we go any further. 
I always think about this when the show starts. We got to get a clock, which we can sponsor. We can, we can get a sponsor for, but a big digital display clock, which runs at the start of every show so that people can watch and somebody can be operating that clock as Coop does his intro of the sponsors and runs through it like the, uh, like the, the FedEx wrapper. It's awesome, so. man. It's always great. But I'm telling you, it's like, you, you know, because it, it's a role, man. And, and the thing is, it just, it, it's, it's, you know, as the seconds tick by, you just keep on going. It's great. We should, we should absolutely have the, uh, the coop, the coop intro, uh, the, the coop, coop show opening clock. I, I uh, actually I, have to say that every time I see Coop do that, I think that he might pass out by the end of the. There was <laughs> one. There was one I lost my voice on. It was with Loomis. It, it's absolutely. I gotta find the episode. It's it, it's a classic. My voice just literally died in the middle of it. So um, Coop, I have a question for you though. Do you do you take breathing exercises like seriously to to make it through that intro? I probably need to work. I probably need a little training with that. <laughs> Oh no, you know, it, it's, it's, I gotta be honest. Like there are about four or five guys. I get really nervous when I do intros with, right? George, I love you, but you're one of the guys and not because you're like mean to me or anything. This guy's just such a, like a George is just such a legend. Uh, and he's a guy like, like Bear said, I looked up to in cigar media and he he's, you're, you're still the best in the business at this. So, I mean, um, and I mean that sincerely. So, uh, there's ah, a lot of high okay. standards I got to do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, George is the only guest we brought back for like two episodes in a row because we just, we, we couldn't do justice to it. Um, yeah, and I know I we wanted to get him on up, the, with so. Bear this time. Yeah. Right. Bear, you missed, we, I, I wanted, I wanted to be sure you were part of this too. Well, thank you. Yeah. No, I, 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 was glued to I was glued to my seat uh, watching those those two episodes that you did and you know it's 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 funny because you know I mentioned this you know as I was introducing you all and um, you know when I five years ago when Coop brought me onto this team and it, it that's a crazy whirlwind of a story as it were and our audience has heard it before but you know a couple of weeks after you know it was decided that we were going to do this thing he's like hey we're going to have this we're going to have a guest on I was like oh okay. Uh, and I, you know, I've done interviews before I've, you know, I've, I did, you know, sports journalism in high school and college. And, and I was like, okay, well, um, you know, and I, so I went back and I listened to every interview that, that Coop and Aaron had did so far in their short history at that time. And then I was like, um, I, and I remembered, uh, I remembered the interview that y'all did, uh, the series of interviews that you did, but specifically the interview that you two did, um, you know, the what was 118 minutes with Pete Johnson. It was broken up <laughs> to four sections. And then there was this other follow-up interview. This I, I found it at the time. Now it's been on YouTube for, you know, for, you know, seven years now. Right. It used um, to be harder to get your hands on. The Draper yeah, Dialogues and, and the yeah. follow-up that was in. Uh, I th the follow-up you're talking about is the one we did at Tobacco Leap, right, Pete? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The it first was, one was done at uh, Bethesda. Yeah. And it was almost, uh, I mean, it was all, I mean, at this point, I think it was to the day, I think it was almost seven years to the day that that follow-up one was done. And, and it was, it was such a, I, I, it's, it instilled in me like everything that I wanted to accomplish out of an interview. And then for the fact that, that Pete was the, Pete was the guest in that situation. I was like, I, I want 
that I want that opportunity one day. And, and, and uh, Pete was kind enough to, to bless me on my show uh, to be my, my hundredth take guest. And I wanted to make it a very special, a very special episode. And, and, and Pete obliged me on that. And that was, uh, it was kind of like everything kind of came full circle. Now this is really, truly full circle for, for me personally. And so uh, it's an honor to have you both here today to catch up with you too. And to, um, yeah. to share some of those moments that I really enjoyed watching those dialogues and then kind of bring that to our audience here tonight. So, yeah. um, well, you guys said it, you, you're hoping to get to, to 10 years, which I would hope so too, because yeah. if you're around five years from now, I, I hope to be around also. And uh, I would love to come on the 10 year anniversary. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> well, well we got, yeah, you, guys, yeah. you guys are booked already. So, and Barry and I normally don't feel <laughs> like we actually booked, I think we booked someone for a show when we were going to do the election night show, though. Yeah, the election night show we like talked but about. He got like, sick. The guy got sick. Uh, yeah. Todd, Todd Nafee of the, yeah. the, P, the PCA board was going to be our. <laughs> our guest and, and, and wouldn't you know, he got COVID that week and, you know, we would just, he felt terrible. And we we're like, Oh man, we had planned this like three years in advance. It's fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really good. Um, hey bear, I think before we kind of get into some more of the talk on, we're going to get into more in the Draper dialogues. Mm -hmm. I think we got to take care of some business first, uh, as far we, as you'll go tonight. We do, we do. Um, and, um, Pete, with all respect, I think you will like any of the selections, that uh, that George makes to but I would like to ask since this is my first opportunity interviewing George, I'd like to pass this little tradition on. Um, I always ask our guests or guests what I should smoke, uh, and since I think Pete will like every single one of my choices here, I'm going to let George choose uh, and do the honor of picking my cigar here tonight. Uh, the great thing is that uh, that uh, three of these are gifts, and the fourth one is just a cigar I really enjoy. So the first gift was given to me by our co-guest tonight, Mr. Pete Johnson at PCA trade show last year. Oh, discuss those. Um, the second one is a uh, gift that was given to me at a random Christmas party that I went to. Uh, oh. And he's like, Hey, have you heard of this cigar? And I was like, yes, I have. He's like, they're pretty good. And uh, he, <laughs> uh, the guy never had, uh, had never smoked it before. Didn't know anything about it, but he just thought it was so cool. And he's like, yeah, I got a box of them. The guy and uh, he's like, I found them. He's like, they were pretty old, and I like age stuff and blah blah. And I was like, okay. So it's still a spirit oh. to a 2008 Wow. Uh, and this last one is a gift that uh, that Pete Johnson. I just I decided that Pete decided that gave this to me personally. I'm 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 being selfish tonight. Uh, he <laughs> brought back the La Riqueza, so fantastic their choice. And then uh, one of the uh, newest selections that I just absolutely adore. Uh, the Capa Especial Cojete. Yeah. Um, those are my choices tonight, George. And it would honor me if you chose my first cigar for me. Well, thanks. It's a, uh, you, you know, that's a murderer's row. Uh, automatically, my thought would be uh, La Riqueza, because as Pete knows, I, that cigar is really near and dear to my heart. But let me run it down for you. The Cojete is too short to sustain you through as much as we're going to talk tonight. True. So save that, save right? Because you guys are going to have a hard time shutting us up if you just let us run. Uh, but but the, that, that should be your backup cigar for like when we, uh, you know, when, when, we, when we get into the, uh, the depths of this. The Escasos, 
Dude, I, I love those cigars, but I, I got to admit, I'm a hoarder for those. It's like if I have one of those, I, I, it's, it's one of those cigars, you know, you look in your humidor when people are coming over to hang out and you're like, oh, what can I offer that they'll, you know, they'll, they'll please them and everything. You go, I'm not giving them an Escasos. Fuck them. They're not getting it. I'm saving those for me. Right. So you should do the same. You just hang on to that bad boy. Uh and, you know, to me, it's like, OK, the real answer is you should smoke the absolute jewel, the treasure that's there. That Verite, that cigar is probably really, really, really ready to smoke right now. That what you're doing is doing honor to exactly the reason why Verite was made. The whole point to that cigar is that it should come out at something like now and you go, OK, here's a cigar I bought and laid down and you can't believe and by the way, no matter what you do, unless you're Pete, you can't touch that anywhere else. You can't get that smoke, that flavor, that experience anywhere. So, True. you know, rock on, man. That, that's great. I'm just Cheers. bummed that we're not doing this together so that I could hang out in, uh, and get some <laughs> of your, uh, you know, that, that, the, the aroma of that verite. But you're, but you're killing it with that. Well, uh, that, George, I'll say I love the choice. I love the choice, but that Escasos that he has, no one has yet. That particular one is still resting. I was supposed to release it the end of last year, and I decided that they didn't need to go anywhere because I wasn't but, in a hurry. But they're the a very special fifty-year-old uh, birthday cigar. But 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 guess what? It's he's still going to have it. It's not like uh, if uh, yeah. you know he he doesn't burn it tonight. And the thing is. I figure it's a great cigar to have for when you decide to release him. And he goes, okay, you're not putting anything over on me. I got the one that I got when this was supposed to happen. So now I'm going to know what it smokes like versus what you're going to actually uh, send out into the marketplace. No ringers, no ringers are getting by <laughs> dynamite. Thank, thank you, George. I appreciate it. So yeah, I mean, kill it. And I want to call out, I want to call out George's, uh, uh, baseball reference with murderer's rope i figured yeah. coop would like that one yeah that's good <laughs> well coop and bear too bears yeah yeah you both are yeah but it, but you think about it that was i mean i'm looking at those are those are some heavyweights out there for sure uh and like i said i'm a huge fan of the veritas that's that's yeah and george you're right i have um i think i have about 300 cigars of the l'esprit 08 um, so a decent amount. I have more of the regular size Liberte because that was the uh, what I called my first label. So the, the there, Churchill. There were, there were more options for packaging in that, though, right? Yeah, you there could, were four, four options. Yeah, right. four options for the uh, for the Liberte and, and two for the L'Esprit. Right. So the I saved them kind of like Lafitte saves uh, multiple size bottles. I did the same thing with Liberte. And L'Esprit for being like Carawad's Lafitte in the sense. Yeah. The second label. Love it. Good it's stuff, definitely. man. It, they are, and it's a crime that they are not. Um, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that they should have launched a trend that other people joined in on understanding. Uh, but, you know, as as we as we say so often, you can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, the, the one reality is, I always want to do 
more versions of it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it is a hard project to put together because it takes a lot of time picking out bales, making sure that the tobacco in those bales are what I want, but then all, all of a sudden having to blend those those components together and finding the right the right thing in 2010 i i actually made samples of the blend and never made the cigar well but but part of it is that you've got you got to have you got to have market support you got to have market reaction people have to be ready to step up to the plate and say oh my god yes of course i want to subscribe to this now you know it, it it's Look, we're we're uh, we're part of a marketplace. Unfortunately, I think we're we're rather than learning lessons from other people in the world, we're corrupting the way other people do business. But but the, the our approach is no, no. I don't want to have to save anything. I want it now. I want it old and rare and uh, and and you know. But give it to me now. I just want to walk in and uh, and open the door, and there it is. And you can put whatever price you want on it, and I'll bear the pain because I'm not going to be responsible for for making it, you know, rest. Yeah. And we're, you know, we've we've steadily eroded the idea. You know, I mean, look, this is maybe not a good thing, but you and I both know you go hang out with a lot of people in cigar stores and go, what kind of humidor you have? They go, oh, there it is, right there, and they point to the walk-in. Yeah. Right. In other words, they're they're uh, they're they're rip it out of the box, tear off the cellophane, cut it and light it. That's it. Right. There's no they, these guys are they don't know how much they're missing. And then one day somebody at a at a cigar dinner or a cigar function or whatever lights up the cigar next to them and they're smelling it going, oh, my God, what the hell is that? And you give them a cigar that's been rested that long and they go what the fuck have I been doing? And they go, well, you know, we've only been trying to tell you about this for two decades now, but go ahead, schmuck, you know, go back to your. It's, it's better when, better when you're, you're giving them a cigar that's the same cigar at the dinner, but five years older. Exactly right. And then it's the that, same cigar you're smoking, but I've had it for five years. Precisely. It, so it's one of those things thing. about aging, you know, like an aging stuff like is interesting because there are manufacturers and brand owners who are like that, that, they, they'll never get insulted by say like when I tell them I'm like, Oh, I'm resting that or I'm saving those or I'm doing some aging experiment, but they're, they're of the mindset of like, Hey, let's smoke it now. And, and uh, you know, Pete's one of, one of several that will like, if hey, I tell him like, Oh yeah, that's doing, that's smoking really good right now. And he kind of joins in on the, the, the nerding out of the age, the aging experimentation of it, which is, which is really nice. And, and that's why, that's why I like, I like doing with Tatua Hayes. And a lot of Pippin stuff too. Is it 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 gets it's really interesting to see what time does to it. Yeah, because it's good off the shelf, um, or great off the shelf. But it, it it's a, greatness and goodness like have degrees, and that's why I try to explain to people sometimes is that like like oh it was better, you know it was better two years ago. Well I'm like well the subjective nature of that aside like it was still good. It's just different, you know. Yeah. And. I, I always say, you know, like with, with our products, uh, Pepin and myself, uh, everything that we do, it's meant to smoke great right off the bench. You should be able to understand it. It's like we do the analogy, George and I, all, all the time. When you open up a big bottle of Bordeaux that's the brand new vintage, it's going to, of course, it's going to taste great, but you know you're supposed to let it 
kind of calm down and rest for a while. And that's the point with these cigars is that we want them to be full of flavor and full of, you know, spice and aroma when you first grab them out of the box, but just know that they're just going to age with grace. Your, Pete, your I think I've asked is, you. I'm sorry. Go ahead, George. Well, uh, no, go ahead, Barry. You can if you want to. Well, I was gonna. I was gonna ask this both. I believe I've asked Pete this question, but if if, if I haven't, if you if I have, you can answer it again, Pete. But to both of y'all, George and Pete, like, what's the oldest cigar that you've ever smoked? Oh, uh, 1920s Cuban. Um, actually, I I have one from the mid 20s in my humidor right now that I actually rewrapped with a Corojo wrapper from, from the farm in Nicaragua. <laughs> Which is always fun. That's a, I used to take broken cigars to Cuba all the time to, uh, to experiment, <laughs> right? You know, I bring, I bring out, you know, all these wounded cigars and go, okay, you know, let's do this. And sometimes they were, you know, Havana's also, but most of the time they were, you know, Nicaragua and Dominican, whatever. Uh, but I'll tell you this, I, so, so in the seventies, in the 70s, uh, probably 76, 77, right? I think it might've been right at the year after the bicentennial. I smoked uh, Monte Cristos that were uh, made, they were given to the last US ambassador to Havana as a gift, but they were made with tobacco that was grown the year I was born. Wow. Um, so they were, the, and that was an extraordinary He, he wins. Yeah, well, that's pretty awesome. That, that, was, that, that was a that was a special treat, and it, you know, later on, much later after uh, I discovered, you know, the 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 woman, there were two people who had inherited these cigars, and and it turned out that, and it, and it took a, a while for this to come up, to realize to come to light. But my father knew uh, the the ambassador, the guy that had been in Cuba. He didn't know the kids. But when they, they came back, they came back to D.C. and I took care of the cigars for years. And then it came to a point where I said to them, listen, you know, these things are starting to fade. You need to do something with these. So I made up all these gift packs for them. And the, guy, the brother um, was a real, you know, piece of work. And he comes in and goes, oh, I, I hear you've been taking good care of these. Here's a cigar. Right. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, you're so kind and generous. Gee, thanks. You know. She comes in a couple of days later and says, I heard my brother wasn't very nice to you. Uh, I brought you a box of these. So that was that was an extraordinary experience. Talk about weeping when you when you smoke one of those cigars, you know, as you've got the uh, Monte Cristo uh, money. I had number ones and number fours made for the last U.S. ambassador in a special, you know, in a, in a glorious presentation. And she came back when it was all over, when they had finally sort of distributed all of the cigars. She said, you know, these things came in a box. Do you want it? You know, just sitting in the garage. And I went, what? And she goes, yeah, they came in a box. Oh, my God. It was the most incredible. You know, it was the it was the tray, the, the solid cedar tray that the brothers had made there in, in Havana with the sliding tops that had all the cigars. And then that was inside its own presentation case, which is where it had uh, His Excellence uh, Arthur Gardner and all this. It, it was awesome. But I got to tell you this, Bear, I have smoked a cigar that's older than that. I smoked a uh, in the in the 90s. Uh, do you remember that that uh, Irish uh, peer of the realm that discovered all the cigars uh, in, in the in the estate? And they were trying, you know, they were they were trying to take them to auction, saying that they were Havana's. 
And uh, the story, yeah. yeah, and and it was look, it was a, a a great thing, and it made for great news and everything. But I told, I called the uh, the man who was responsible, quote unquote, for vetting them before they went to this auction, and I said, listen, based on everything that I see, the shape, the wrapper, uh, and uh, what's left of the packaging. I do not believe those cigars are Havana's. I think it is much more likely that you have Filipino cigars there. And he's like, well, you know, because the, all the markings on the on the boxes were uh, like mostly gone. Uh, they've been burning them in the fireplace for fuel. <laughs> so, right, you think about that. So he and he and he goes oh, these the, and the, and they thought they had records that indicated that they were bought in the 1870s. And I said, no, much much more likely that these are from the turn of the century and here's the, here's the way they would have arrived. Anyway, that, so they, they, they sent me uh, uh, cigars and said, we, we want your opinion. So I, I smoked them and then I called him, you know, Simon, who I'm talking about. And I said, listen, dude, don't tell people that these are Havana cigars. Mm. Right. Don't, don't do that because you're, it, it'll, it'll blow. Uh, who knows, you know, I mean, uh, the, the kind of thing that people say, but however, they were smokable cigars, right? They were wow. smokable cigars. that was going to be a nice question. That's they crazy. were smokable cigars, uh, you know, 90 years into their, into their lifetime, and especially after having been uh, probably uh, badly, you know, abused for at least half their lifetime. I also smoked a 1940s vintage Amatista uh, uh, and, and, you know, it, it, literally a, a, a guy came walking into uh, to Georgetown. So that would have been uh, also that was I think that was early 70s. But he had an Amatista jar and it had all the tax seals on it and everything. And I was like, he goes, what do you think these are? Are they worth anything? Are they any good? And I'm like, oh, no, these are trash. You don't want these. They're, they're terrible. You know, let me let me give you some of these great Brazilian cigars called Surdin. You know, <laughs> you'll love these. They're very lively. They have a lot of flavor. These cigars, they're all gone. They're dead. You know, and it was he knew I was putting them on, you know, but he, we had a great time with them. And uh, we ended up uh, 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 having a little party to smoke some of them. And it, they, they were phenomenal. That that to me, that's why, you know, when when Pete did the jars, I was like, oh, my God, history repeats itself. This is the greatest. It's the it's the most fantastic way to uh, to preserve cigars for another generation. I love it. I, I love what we were talking about earlier, rewrapping cigars. Mm -hmm. um, I used to take you remember when the Grand Havana room had underneath the counter of the bar they had tobacco leaves yeah. those leaves were supplied uh by the newman family and it was yeah. broadleaf broadleaf tobacco that they would send in to grand havana and they would take them and mm -hmm. lay them under the, the glass top of the yeah, bar so you could see them but we'd always have like leftover hands of tobacco so i would take old bowser not not the uh, fuente bowser's but the the basically the peso cigars from Cuba. That's right. They got hit by bugs and I would rewrap them in the kitchen of the Grand Havana corporate office with that broadleaf wrapper from Newman. <laughs> I do some of the best flavored cigars I've ever had because the, the combination between the Cuban tobacco and the kinetic broadleaf just was Absolutely. like, bam. But, but, but that's also a, a split personality smoke because you were, <laughs> you, were, you were literally smoking, you know, uh, uh, something old and, uh, and, 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 you know, funky and sort of, uh, and then this, this gorgeous, you know, vibrant new um, uh, power. So 
It, it's awesome. But I, it, we, I used to love it. And the guy, you know, the, the cigar makers that I would bring it to, there was a guy that was always in, uh, in the front room at, uh, at La Corona. And he'd, he'd see me come in and because we would always, I, the way I used to start my weeks there was to go visit him and we'd spend like Monday morning fucking around with blends and sizes so that at the end of the week, I could go away with 50 cigars that he made for me with, with my name on the band, but always misspelled. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but, but he would say, what do you bring me this time? Because I would say, I would bring him, you know, like a bag of, of, of stuff and say, look, you know, this, this, and this. And I'd point him out to him and say, you know, you should probably take the binder off this too, because it sucks, you know, and all. It was great. And he, because he, what he loved looking at was all this other tobacco that he never saw. Right, you know, because yeah. he'd seen Mexican and all these different things. It was great. And, it, you know, look, they're, they're Cubans. So he'd go, okay, this is shit. This is shit. This is shit. Yeah, well, that they did that to me. We were in Havana in 2001 after the Tampa trade show. We left from the trade show, took a couple planes to get to Havana. Yeah. And we had all these cigars from the trade show with us. Yeah. So we started giving them out to the guys that we were hanging out with. And they're like, nah, this is not going to be good. Yeah. I was like, no, just try it. And they're like, <laughs> no, this is not going to be good. So, okay. It's, Pride uh, of country. Yeah. Those those same guys were looking for rafts and uh, and uh, escape routes as soon as they could. You know, get me the hell out of here. Yeah. Let me go work. Uh, let me go work with another uh, another. And that, by the way, that's probably the you know the great boost of energy that the whole industry needed was a new wave of people who left Cuba and discovered all these new toys to play with. And they, 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 uh, they picked up the baton and started blending things that people had not had before. And we're all the beneficiaries for it. Oh, absolutely. Very true. That's an interesting point. It's kind of an interesting way you put that, George. I just didn't really think of it that way. But that's what it is. You know, they got away from, you know, they were schooled and had a certain level of experience and they knew a certain kind of material and technique and everything else. And then they go to another country and discover, oh, my God. And they arrive just at the moment when that country is basically progressing from making everything as a puro to making everything as a cafeteria blend like Miami style. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, timing there's, there's, it's amazing how these things happen. And we're just, we were lucky that we were, uh, that, that we were around and all of us are lucky that, that Pete was there with this idea in his head about how he wanted to make something and a guy just happened you know they, they this is what i was going to segue into yeah wow yeah, yeah. this is like perfect timing yeah no so that, that's it yeah i got very lucky right place at the right time no but you well, start to think but don't under don't undersell yourself in that pete because that's not fair you know no you, but you but i was lucky, i was very was fortunate that that i i looked at him differently than the few Everybody people that had met him early on, they right. kind of questioned it. I just, I, I looked at him for his knowledge of what he knew about his country cigars. And that's what I wanted. Yeah. So it was perfect timing. And it, it ended up being perfect timing for both of us. It was, it's a, it was a match made in heaven. And uh, the entire cigar world is, is lucky for it. Especially when you consider the fact that 
essentially what happened the in other words the way that you were able to communicate to him what it is you were trying to do and those first cigars that he made for you that were like so different in personality that first of all they had to be very different than than what he had been making yeah right but also they were so different than uh, than than if you think about think about that like the the 20 other people that you had been through saying i want to make a cigar and they're giving you uh, you know their usual uh, Oh, here's our private label. You'll love this. We can make a really nice band for this, you fucking idiots. But anyway, <laughs> you you uh, you started something with him that created a trend in terms of cigars, and it wasn't, you know, look. A lot of people talk about the idea of you and the, you know, the name and the and the branding and everything, but it was as much about the 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 essence of the cigar. You, you know, a long time ago, what you said was you wanted, I recall, you said, I want a cigar that's um, uh, uh, modern in materials, but traditional in its, uh, in its experience, right? In other words, you were, you were trying to make a cigar that could call back to the great days of Cuba, not what we were being forced to endure at the time, right? And, uh, but, but, but so the style of cigar making uh, caught fire. Everybody wanted something like that. And for a little while, some people tried deliberately to, you know, to copy all the elements, but also the marketing approach became um, a trend. And it so much so, I mean, it, it inspired all these people to come into the business, some of whom are still with us and very talented. And it inspired cigar guys to go and say, all right, let's use our leaf in a different way than what we have been doing. And it's down to you and, and, and Pep and the things that you guys did together uh, taught people that there was um, uh, another uh, rung up the ladder. There was something else to reach for and, and that uh, it, could be, uh, it could be a personal expression. You know, it didn't have to be, it didn't have to look like, okay, this is a variation on these 30 other cigar brands that have gone forward before, right? And that applied to every aspect about it. The, the, you know, the, the shape of the cigar, uh, you know, the style of the packaging and everything was, it was, it, you can't under, you know, we were talking about this, Maybe Coop, the last time we were talking uh, about uh, paradigmatic changes, you know, so so you have the revolution and everything that happens, uh, the search for a place to start making cigars outside of Cuba, it's Honduras. Uh, then you have what happens in the in the Dominican Republic in response to the Canary Islands running out of gas, literally as a as a as a place to uh, to to be to have a base, and then it's. It's two things, and it's practically simultaneous. The Padrones creating 1964, the Anniversario series, and Carlito birthing Opus X, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it, those things, they're like dominoes that fall. Each one of those is a, is a moment in our industry where it's before and after. There is no, there's, it's not like, it's not like, uh, oh, you know, we noticed this looking back bullshit. It's, it was like a thunderclap. There is something that else that's happened. And the, the, the uniqueness of what Carlito did with, uh, with, with Opus, I have to believe, it, you know, 
indirectly affects you because in a way, what was happening with Opus is what was driving what uh, um, Andrea was trying to do, what Molinari was trying to do with Bono. Absolutely. Right? So Absolutely. You know, these, these things. The traditional sizes, everything. Just, just sizes, going, the, going the for sizes the old play. feel. Yes, absolutely. And then, and then all of a sudden, everybody looks around and goes, there's a kid in California making cigars with somebody that nobody has any idea about in Miami, and they're fucking better than Cubans. And, and, the, and the, 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 the way that people, you know, you talk, it's, it's crazy. It was, it's like a Kardashian moment in the cigars, <laughs> right? Because all of a sudden, people are like, oh. How do you feel about that comparison, cigar. Pete? <laughs> My wife will be so proud of me. <laughs> Well, but but you know what? The, the, uh, it's it's true, and and she was yeah. she's a part of it too. But it's it's that kind of it's that kind of a change in everybody's perception. Well, you actually said it in your one of your interviews with Pete George. You you and I, Pete's too humble to 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 admit this, but you you actually said that Pete discovered in a way discovered Pepin. And brought him, you know, brought, you know, the, the two of them together co- collaborated in a way that brought their, brought both of their talents t- to light. Look, we the- can't, there's no way, there's no way that we can um, uh, actually state uh, positively what would have happened if that meeting hadn't occurred. But there is no way that Pepine would have exploded like the supernova across the cigar business that he did if it wasn't for Pete. And I think what's joyful about it is that he recognizes that, and so does Pete. It's like the it's a, it was a cosmic event, and and every one of us are the richer for it, including me right now smoking this cigar. I think I think the one thing that really um, marks it is that that I I think that if he was like if this is kind of weird, if I didn't have that that kind of push for him to stick with what he knew as far as tradition goes, maybe he would have led in a different direction of more new world instead of focusing on the old style. He would not have been, he would not have been applying his, everything about his approach that he had learned and been groomed and, and, and coached to do like, you know, through his entire career yeah. in, in Nevada. Right. In other words, if you had not given him license to pursue that, not just license, commission to say, this is what we got to do and this is what's going to work, then he probably would have ended up making things that were a lot like what other people were doing. And, and again, everybody else would be the loser. And who knows? He might have stumbled. He might have said, hey, this sucks. I can't do that. I got to I got to go back to what I know. But who knows? how long that would have taken and who knows whether or not what he was making would have um, caught fire the same way. Yeah. I mean, let, listen, let, let's, we, as I said, these things are their paradigm shifts when they happen. It's like, Oh, there's before and after. And it's so clear. It's so cl- and And the thing is, if you're, if you're, you know, you're talking to old farts, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> present company included, obviously, you know, they're like, this is the, you know, I remember that moment, you know, like, like everybody I know remembers the first time they smoked a Grand Cojonu. 
right? And oh, most yeah. of them said, motherfucker, I hate that size, but God damn, is that a good cigar? Right? In other words, yeah. it was just like, oh, there's nothing like this. There's nothing else that you can buy. You can walk in the, the biggest and the fanciest and the, and the most complete cigar store, and you can't find anything like Grand Kohonu. You got to have that cigar. Thank it's, God it turned out that you could make some other sizes. <laughs> it's amazing that you say that, because I do remember where I had my I do remember it, too. Yeah, I was in Charleston. It took me 10 years to learn how to pronounce it, too. But I was at the I remember. <laughs> Charleston, North Carolina. Yeah. South Carolina. Yeah. I'm sorry, South Carolina. South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, I, who's who's whose store was it, Coop? It, I believe it was Tinderbox. Oh, really? The one that was by the uh, the, the Omni by the hotel? No, well, it may not have been. It may not have been Tinderbox now. Um, remember Lola Leeming? The uh, was it the smoking lamp down from the market? You know, that's where it was. Oh it was yeah, at the Francis yeah. Marion. You did a Francis yeah. Marion hotel. Right. Yeah, that's where it was. Yeah. But I mean, I remember it was Charleston, South Carolina, like, of course, you know. But see what I'm saying is that it's like you it's unforgettable. You yeah. smoke. It's like a transformative experience. You go, oh, shit. And, and I remember I was, it, George, it was exactly how you described it. I was with a group of friends. We had gone down there for the weekend and we were hitting all the cigar stores. Yeah. And, you know. Lo and behold, one, some, one of the guys we were with at, said, oh, they got the Grand Cajonia. You, you've got to try these, right? And he was like a, a, a super tough guy. He had already mm -hmm. smoked it. And we all, you know, we all just fell in love with it instantly. Now, I was the guy who always liked the big ring gauges, so it was an easy sell for me. Um, <laughs> you know, but some of the other guys were, you know, not. And, and they were sold on it, too. And it was, yeah. I, I looked at that was a, a true game-changing cigar, especially, you know, with the big ring gauges. When when Kohonu when Kohonu came out, the uh, big ring gauge cigars like that were not a thing. There, you know, there were a few that you could buy. Yeah, uh, uh, Philip Wynn had a couple. Santa yes. Rosa. Um, Nick had the Immensos back then. The original Immensos. Yeah. Uh, the original Immensos. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, there are and what the Immenso was huge though. That was well, seventy. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a seventy. Yeah, but, but, are, and Manolo Manolo was also making a. Uh, yeah, the a, the grant uh, the. Half Jeroboam and the, the, yes, uh, exactly. the Jeroboam. Jeroboam and the half Jeroboam. Yep. Yep. But, but the thing is, those people, you know, you walked in a cigar store, people looked at him like it was a carnival cigar, you know? It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, you know? Well, because but, we had the old man Reyes. We had the old man Reyes making the Chiefs. That's exactly right. And yeah. those those were truly carnival cigars. The only person I knew that smoked, that I know that smoked, smoked more of those than anybody was Jose was Ortega. Oh, yeah. No, oh, well, Jose Ortega, well, he worked for, for them for years, and that was the cigar he would shock people with. He'd walk into every event lighting up that cigar. Right, exactly. I, I, he smoked hundreds of them. There's, there's, there's Jose's cigar. He'll be here in five minutes. <laughs> as the, as nice. the cigars. But you know what? God bless. It, it's, uh, you know, these are all lessons that we learned. But I, what I, all, my point was that uh, in, in the realm of sexy uh, prestige, you know, gotta have it. Uh, cigars. There was nothing like that. Uh, you know that 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 shape hadn't made its way into that uh, realm yet. It was not widespread. It wasn't wide known. Uh, but the, when people saw the cigar and picked one up and felt it in their hands and smelled it, they were like, "Oh yeah, I I, I want this cigar. I want I, I, I want to buy it." And they and they you know buy one and, and light it up and then they'd be like oh, well 
I got to have them. I, it, that's all there was to it. And it was like, after that, they're, they're basically, that was creating the, the Tatuaje cult because all those people were like, if they can make this cigar, I got to see what else happens. So, you know, thank God. You know, uh, we're talking with George Brightman and Pete Johnson. Um, and I, there were a few comments that I saw in the chat. And I just kind of wanted to take a little step back. Um, mm -hmm. You know, these guys, um, for folks, I mentioned the Draper Dialogues in the, in the chat. And a lot of folks may not be familiar with the Draper Dialogues, but these were a series of interviews done on the Stogie Review uh, brand. Yeah. And, you know, Ben Lee, who's on our team, was a part of Stogie Review. But I think these even predate Ben Lee joining Stogie Review. They do. They do. Yes. Yeah. And uh, George was actually the, um, I want to say, he. I guess you were the interviewer. Uh, I mean, you did the interviews with a series of these leading manufacturers. And I think a lot of us in particular, you know, we remember a lot of these interviews, but it's the interviews you did with Pete Johnson. Um, George, real quick, talk about how you got involved with doing this. Um, you know, because I think for, for folks, been, and these, by the way, these interviews are still out there on Stogie Review. They're not gone. So you, know, you can go check their YouTube page on it for sure. Yeah, you can, you can definitely see um, the majority of them. You know, there's a great one with Cynthia. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a really, uh, there's a nice one with Lido. But, you know, the, the, the real um, uh, aspect of this was that um, Draper's was uh, working on how to maximize attention for their 125th anniversary. Right. Which is yep. an accomplishment. You know, you, we're, we're sitting here talking about both of us, you know, Pete and I are both like, oh, yeah, I, I, I would so much like to be on the 10th anniversary show. I would like to have, you know, a five year later version of this, God willing, you know. Uh, but 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 here's the thing. 125 years. There are uh, there's not more than a handful of uh, cigar stores that are that are even close to that number. Right. Continuously operating. You know, there's all kinds of stores that have, you know, sort of changed back and forth. But anyway, they had decided to produce four cigars for the 125th anniversary with uh, four producers that they not only enjoyed great relationships with, but that they thought were uh, the people who understood you know, what the mission was to create something distinct. So it was Pete. Guillermo Leon from La Aurora, um, the Fuentes, and the Padrones. Now, needless to say, uh, the one who delivered uh, on time and on schedule was Pete. Right, epic, and it was an epic cigar that he delivered. It was. It yeah. was. It was, which may have been the you know our uh, our first meeting, Coop. Yes, because you uh, gave me, me you actually gave me one out of your personal stash. Yeah. of this cigar but because because as far as i was concerned those those cigars are um little magic tricks yeah. because they're you know when you hand them to somebody they go this what you know this this little you know this this it's a petite cabaguan and they're yeah. they're, they're so sensational so yeah we don't, but don't let me get sidetracked for that i'm, I'm trying to answer yeah uh, yeah no problem there's question um so so i they didn't have any idea. They had they had no uh, they had no game when it came to the idea of, of how we're going to celebrate this. 
and I said, well, I can tell you how we're going to do it. You know, we're, we're going to sit down and, and, uh, and talk with these people in the shop, let customers come. We'll, this will be the announcement when they, when they have the opportunity to, uh, when they have the opportunity to first buy the cigars, the, the very first day that they're available. And we almost always sold out the inventory within, you know, a matter of days. Because they were they were not uh, they were not big numbers the the runs but anyway the thing is that I said we'll we'll do we'll do a sit down with these guys and uh, it so happened that uh, you know Jerry Cruz and Cirillo were both hanging out in the uh, in the in the shop uh, you know spending time w- with me and with other people uh, and Jerry was part of Stogie Review and I said listen dude can you bring your camera down here we're gonna we're gonna do this for the for customers but it would be nice to preserve it you know we weren't thinking about any really like long term uh but i said we it'll it'll be nice if uh if you can be here and and that and i actually made up the the name draper dialogues uh on the spot uh uh, i think for the the, huh i said how about that wow i mean it just occurred you know because we we didn't have in the beginning like if you watch the first video the first one uh, there's no, uh, I don't go welcome to this and that, you know, I just say, uh, listen, we're here today because, uh, and, 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 and kind of go forward with that. And, and, but by the way, we also always started those clowning around a lot, you know, goofing off with, uh, with, with people and, and, and me and Pete were, uh, you know, he was the best guest, um, in, 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 in many ways, not least because, First of all, he was incredibly relatable. Second of all, he was really funny. Third, he was absolutely honest, right? And uh, and and didn't. And I, won't, I won't say it's it's you know it's too stereotypical or cliche to say he didn't pull any punches because he wasn't trying to you know lower the boom on anybody. But he just you know was unfiltered. He just said you know the real truth, and people were like, "Holy shit!" You know, because by the way. I will say the one thing I said from the very beginning, Pete probably remembers this really well. I looked around at the room and I said, welcome. I'm glad you all are here. Uh, uh, I, I can tell you this. There are two people in this room that are going to have a good time for sure. Because <laughs> me and Pete always have fun when we're hanging out and shooting the shit, going back and forth, right? And what we want to talk about, everybody else just got to watch, right? Um, and and so I, I always felt like, listen, if we can make people, if we can expose people to the idea that um, you know, cigar guys are about more than standing in a booth at a trade show uh, or, or a big smoke or something like that going, yes, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, here you want to sign that box and everything else. And people go, I'm, there. I'm, 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 I'm the biggest fan. I don't smoke anything but Tatuaje as they're sitting there with a the giant Rocky Patel in their mouth. Um, so, you know, it was it was just a, a, a way to have a real conversation with these legends of the cigar business uh, in a relaxed environment with somebody that they knew wasn't going to bushwhack them. You know, in other words, I wasn't going to, you know, do a number on them and, you know, try and, I don't know, extract something. We were just, we, it was, it was good natured banter. We were going to have fun exploring, you know, what happened and why and, and, and learn more about the cigar making experience than, 
Well, I was born in the tobacco patch and my dad had me rolling cigars when I was coming home from kindergarten and they sold those on the street. You know, I mean, it's, it's, we've all heard so many times the, you know, the endless saga of, you know, people making up their legacy connections. And again, what was super refreshing about Pete was, you know, I'm just a kid that uh, stumbled into this, right? It was so, it was so awesome. You know? He was, he was so honest. He was so yeah, I mean, I stumbled, about... I stumbled into it, but a lot of people don't know that I, I followed you around like a little puppy dog for multiple <laughs> years because, you know, I was, I'm always a sponge when it comes to cigars. Like I, I want to learn everything I can. And George had all the knowledge. Like he was the guy that you wanted to be sitting next to every time you'd have the chance to be around him. You just said, fuck it. I'm going to hang out with George because <laughs> He's the guy that taught you as you enjoyed cigars together. And he would, he would actually teach you about how to taste cigars without the perception of the band in front of you and say, Hey, tell me what it is. What, yeah. what are you smoke it? Tell what me what it is. Because people would, I used to do that all the time, give people a cigar and uh, I would never, I would never give them the band. And half the time, if I felt it had a recognizable cap or something like that, I would cut it and hand it to them. They go, "What is this?" And I go, "It's a cigar. Smoke mm -hmm. it, you dummy. Let's let's talk about what's happening." Right? It was the greatest. Those were. Yeah. We, we yeah, yeah, yeah. you helped me. Them. You actually helped me train my palate because you were the one that really kind of you know, went after the whole, like, okay, let's, let's teach this kid something. Let's give him a cigar without the band and see if he can figure out what the heck it is. And from that knowledge that you gave me, I was able to, to use it later on, almost like a parlor trick though, because I always knew, I always knew all the sizes. I knew this, the colors of the wrappers because of what you taught me. I knew, you know, the shapes, everything, everything was there. You had the catalog. And, then, and the catalog was there. But then I also, I, like I say, a parlor trick. I always knew what the guy had in his locker. Mm -hmm. So I, was, I would always just go through the, the encyclopedia of what was in that, in that locker and go, oh, dude, that's a, that's a Bellicosa Fino from Boulevard. You know, right. shit like that. But guess what? It, 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 all of that, first of all, it's, it's great to be able to do that, right? In other words, it's, it's, it's so much fun to, to sit with somebody and smoke blind and talk about, you know, what's happening, you know, what literally what you're experiencing, what the flavors are, right? And then, and then to have, uh, you know, you're playing with, with somebody that, that you know and, uh, and respect and you're sitting there going, okay, what is this, you know? And don't just tell me, oh, it, you know, like some guy go, well, this is clearly a Cuban cigar. I go, oh, great. So, you know, you've gotten past kindergarten now, you know? <laughs> What the fuck is it? You know, what's the brand? And then, you know, if you, you know, tell me the brand and then tell me the shape, right? Because that's the thing. You got to be, you got to, it, it's complete. You got to keep going. And Pete was a, the star student. But by, by the way, and I, I just want to say one thing here. This is really. George had a lot of star students, though. Michael Herklotz was one of them. David Kitchens. Uh, Jose from Gloucester Street was one of George's students. I mean, we all kind of like latched on to George. George would host these lunch lunches at the trade show where he'd, yeah. he'd wrangle like a half a dozen of us to go to lunch with him. And we'd all right. shoot the shit about cigars and how the industry was changing. And that was shit. That was in the mid nineties. Yeah. 
But those were, you know, the thing is, I would look, you know, when you started, Pete, you were one of a really, really small group of young people in the business. So whenever I found them, uh, uh, you know, I'm like, we got to get together, you know, so so like that's that's why it was fun when, uh, you know, when Tim was around in the business and. You know, wait, Huber, Huber, you you left out John, but John. Was oh, like yeah. The, yeah. Huber, too. The guy that was like so focused on, uh, you know, like I, I, I got to get this knowledge. Right. He, he was he was genius at that. He, 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 he stuff didn't get by uh, and he would he, he was always quiet, just cataloging things away. But, I, you know, that's in a way it was always me paying it forward because I remember my earliest trade shows in New York in the in the very early 70s. Uh, you know, in the days when they were they were always in the, the in, in, in the Hotel Pennsylvania across from Madison Square Garden. And, you know, everybody, you just you walk the halls of the hotel, you know, you, you walk down one end of the hall and then back the other, you know, the rooms on the other side and then go up the stairs to the next floor and go down those. And I latched on to um, uh, Juan Sosa. Right. Yeah, yeah. Juan, Juan at the time Juan was working uh, with Manolo, but but he was you know they had Antillian, and uh, uh, he was he was basically Juan was the guy that was sort of keeping Efren Gonzalez's head on it, and Efren you know Dos Gonzalez was really like that was the eye opener for what could happen in the Dominican Republic as opposed to the junk that had been made prior to that because nobody really knew what was happening with La Aurora at that time they weren't you know they didn't have a big enough they didn't have they didn't have proper distribution. But so I, I would I would ask Juan Sosa a thousand questions, you know, like in the, at nine o'clock in the morning and, and he'd be like, what the fuck, you know, and, and but he'd give me a, you know, he'd give me like an eight by 50 uh, Maduro and go here, try this and, uh, you know, tell me what you think and uh, and figure that I was going to you know get sick and uh, puke somewhere and that'd be the end of me. And I'd come back, uh, you know, 30 minutes later and go, OK, well, you know. That that uh, the Brazilian Ira Paraca and that is not so good, you know. It's like uh, it's a little bit raw, and, and and he'd be like, "What?" You know, and, and we and so he and and he and Jerry's uh, uncle uh, Alfred Edelman, those guys looked at me and they said, "What?" And they started. They would they would be ready for me when I'd walk in. They would give me a cigar and they'd say, "Smoke that," and, and we're gonna then we're gonna talk about what's in it, and we would go back and forth. And they were relentless. They were great teachers, but they were like, nah, nah, you know, because once I proved that I wasn't a lightweight, they're like, okay, here's what you got to do. You got to know this. You got to know that. They're the people, they taught me about what, what Cameroon tobacco was and, and you know, turned me on to blends that, that weren't being sold at the time. Uh, and then they'd say, now, now, literally, I'll never forget Juan told me this. He goes, oh, when you're going around the rooms, uh, bring me back another cigar that has Cameroon tobacco and tell me how you, you know, what it is and how you figured it out. But they were awesome. So to me, when I was doing what I was doing in the boom in the 90s, I was just paying it forward because I wanted other people to get that satisfaction, that, that you know, like that, I mean, you just got, you digging all the way into it. Like this is, this is, Here's here's where you're figuring out flavor, and here's where you're figuring out burn, and here's here's where you where you really understand how construction can make a cigar or destroy it, and here's here's the magic of this particular tobacco because you know we went through phases in in those days uh, you know somebody would come out like you know I would always say that the the, the whiz kid the wonder boy uh, was always Ernesto you know Ernesto Carrillo was always the guy that was going to come out with the tobacco that nobody else was using, and two years later everybody in the show would have it. Right. But first he would make it. (laughs) 
so George, you, you kind of let, let us into this talk about the boom and everything, and maybe not money or maybe not one of your quote unquote scholars, but I know you and Pete were around back then. Was there, um, was there someone, there are obviously success, success stories out of the boom, but was there one that you like, you would have bet a great deal of money that mattered to you at the time that you're like, this, this person's going to be around, this person's going to be a legacy that didn't make it. Well, I mean, I, I would say the one person, and you always question them because this person was a little crazy, uh, a little fly by night, uh, but he always was managed to come up with some really cool blends. And that was Tony Berhani. Tony Berhani. Tony Berhani, like back then, like I, I listened a lot what he talked about because Tony, Tony had a, his finger on the pulse of, of, you know, what was going on, what could be better about cigars. And, you know, he slowly disappeared in the industry, but at one time he was bigger than sliced bread. Tony, Tony was the hottest thing out there. He was smart and sexy. He had, he had the right approach to everything that he was doing and listen to me, think about it. You know, you, you look at, look at your, uh, look at your backdrop coop. Uh, Perdomo, um, you know, they, they used to be really angry at, you know, when the, when the transition was made, when Tony basically bailed on uh, Don Douglas in Costa Rica and, and, and went to, uh, went to Nicaragua uh, and Perdomo started making the cigars and Perdomo would be furious. He would come up to me. I, I love Nick, you know, but he would come up to me and he'd go, God damn it. He says, how the fuck can you rate these, uh, these, these Tony Borhani cigars this way and give mine, you know, you're giving him 91 and 92 and you're giving me 86 and 87, you know, and he go, we make his fucking cigar and ours is better, you know, and, oh God. It was well, I mean, yeah, that was the, the success of CAO too. Yeah, that's exactly right. CAO that, started with Don Douglas and then eventually moved everything to Perdomo at the time. I remember, I remember Tony. smoking, uh, I remember smoking the CAO Extreme. I don't know if you remember that real dark, uh, very rich. Yeah, I, I remember that. Almost yeah. like a, almost like a uh, kind of like, I always related it to like graham cracker or, or uh, what's that golden graham cereal. It had that quality yes. to it. It was crazy. Yeah, and honey. I walked up to uh, one of Nick's relatives. I go, how is it possible that you can make a cigar? For these guys, better than you're making it for yourself, <laughs> right? And he hated that, right? Nick, Nick absolutely hated that stuff. And uh, and I, you know, to me, I, I it, but guess what? Nick stuck around and learned his lessons. It, it's yeah. it's almost like the reverse, you know, yeah. uh, of your question, Bear. There are all kinds of people that we would have said, no way, those guys are going to make it, and yet now they're they're they, they they occupy major real estate in every important cigar store you go in. So uh, you know, God bless. I'm I'm much more happy to to discuss um, the 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 successes, the people that managed to stick it out, that learned hard lessons and thrive. I mean, look, I miss I miss Rolando Reyes Jr. Because he had energy and style and, and skill. Oh, yeah. There, there was a, there's another guy. Yeah. Uh, Rolo Jr. Uh, because, again, Rolo had everything going on. He, he, he had the heritage. He had the history. Everything was there. He had the world and, by the balls and, uh, and, and almost the same thing as Tony. You know, in other words, uh, maybe yeah. not on quite as grand a scale as, uh, as Tony pursued. 
but but you know Rolo was gone, and re remember you know those not that they ever uh, not that they ever really came out with anything that um, uh, set the world on fire. But the, remember the Marcus Miguel guys? They they had uh, they had the, the the two you know that because. They, the, you know, they're the ones that brought Filipino cigars back into the marketplace. Mm, yes, yes. Mexico. Remember that was their, their, they were, they were a real interesting uh, dynamic duo. Uh, you know, a guy from Texas and a guy from New Jersey. And uh, uh, they were, they were, they, they, they had a lot of slick stuff going, but they, but they didn't like most of the people who were eventually washed out by the end of the boom. They didn't learn the basics. These are not guys that wanted to knuckle down and understand their tobacco and understand what a cigar maker can do, how they can transform um, a simple combination of leaves into a work of art. And, and they, you know, so they were focused on the business end and marketing and everything else. And in a way, they were trying something which was they were a little bit ahead of their time in terms of putting all this focus on how they were going to differentiate themselves in the marketplace before they had a product that was good enough to do that. Yeah. George, you mentioned um, a couple of times tonight, Filipino tobacco. Yeah. And before my time, I mean, was at one point, what was the Philippines is, I guess, contribution into the cigar market it, it, it sounded like it was a lot bigger than i even thought and what happened well don't forget that um you know uh, uh that that's a you know the philippines are 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 related to puerto rico and cuba in terms of its relationship with uh with the u.s and they had a culture um that was uh about uh, you know in other words they had they had tobacco use and and tobacco manufacturing including a, a, a monopoly enterprise, but um, their uh, manufacturing approach was different. I don't know, Pete, whether you remember this or not, but the, but the, the way that the, uh, what was essentially the national factory, Tabacalera made Alhambra and they had Tabacalera, which eventually became a more popular brand. Um, that's the first place you ever heard that their, their, their marketing of that cigar uh, was the first time that U.S. consumers were exposed to the phrase tobaccolera, because otherwise you you know sure. you, you you would see it maybe in a uh, on the bottom of a box related to a description of the factory, mm -hmm. but not as a tobacco brand. And so that's that's where the word got got culture. Uh, I mean, got got current in in uh, in, in tobacco uh, consumers' minds. But the. The problem, so they, they had a very rudimentary, they used to make cigars around what they called spaghetti sticks. They would wrap the filler around these two sticks uh, and that's what would, would make the shape. And then they would put the, put the, uh, the binder on and then pull the sticks out before the, uh, before the thing was rested in a, in a bunch. And they made some beautiful figurados. They made some gorgeous stuff. And they mostly used uh, lower grade uh, Cameroon but, and some Indonesian. They were the first people to start uh, exploring um, Sumatra seed grown in Indonesia as opposed to uh, Cameroon. But... There were only really two peaks in this country for, for uh, Filipino cigars 
and they were big and they rode them for a while is very important, but they're both related to war. In World War II, a tremendous number of soldiers were in the Philippines on R&R. And one of the things that would happen, you know, once it was our base and it was there, one of the things that would happen is they'd go and drink and, uh, and drink Filipino beer and, uh, and, and smoke, uh, you know, Filipino cigars. And the same thing happened in Vietnam, all the Vietnam guys. So when I got into the business, uh, Philippine cigars were probably just like this close behind Brazilian cigars, which were, you know, the bargain cigar the, the, the you could get a handmade Brazilian cigar for a quarter, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe a Filipino cigar was 30 cents or 35 cents, but, and, and, and a little bit more for the, for the bigger sizes, but they were all the returning servicemen, all the guys that had been in Nam were like, oh, I love, they, they love the cigars. First of all, most of those guys didn't know anything about cigars anyway. They just knew that when they were on R&R, you know, uh, screwing and, and drinking and smoking, uh, it was uh, their Filipino girlfriends or soon-to-be wives and the, uh, the beer and the cigars. And that defined it. And so when they came home, they're like, oh, God, I, great. I, I love that. And then it, it faded away. Interesting. I did not know all that. But they were, it was, it was, they were uh, a brand with market force and weight. So, you know, in those days, you'd, you'd have the, uh, the, the RTDA uh, and the, uh, the, the, the CAA reporting on import statistics, and it was always, you know, Honduras, um, and then uh, um, Jamaica and Mexico, uh, the Canary Islands, which was always the prestige end of the business, so the numbers were slightly lower, and then it was the Philippines and Brazil. Dominican Republic didn't, you know, didn't exist. Did, didn't, they didn't import enough cigars into the U.S. to make uh, a percent of the pie chart. Wow. Amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. So let me ask both of you guys this question here, because we kind of got onto the cigar boom a bit. And we've been talking a little about things that were happening during the boom of the 90s. And, and we've heard today people say we were, were in a boom. We came close to a boom. We're getting out of a boom. Was there a boom? Is there a boom that's occurred in the last few years? Uh, and I, I'm curious for Pete and George's opinion on that. Because you guys lived through that first boom. Yeah, I, I hate calling this new wave a boom because I, I lived through the first one. Um, and we saw the tragedy of, of a lot of brands that disappeared that first wave. And there was also a bunch of crap that was being made during the first boom. The difference now is that I think pretty much everybody's making a good cigar. It's, there's, not, there's not all the junk and crap out there like there was during the, the 90s. Uh, where people were rolling banana leaves into cigars just because they didn't have tobacco and anything with a band on it, they, you know, they would throw in the market. Anybody who had money would go out and, and buy, you know, 500 cigars and put a band on it and, and sell it as their new brand and well, uh, make up their history. It. Shops yeah. would buy it because they were desperate for inventory. But I, I think, but, I think more than anything, I mean, Cigar Aficionado started that big wave of, of the boom and the culture of making cigar smoking more out there and more public and, and more accepted. But I think now the, the culture is stronger, mm-hmm. much stronger. Well, think about it. 
we've had uh, we've we've essentially had 30 years to educate consumers to a level that is so far above what was happening in the 90s. In the 90s, you know, you had this little cadre of people who had discovered uh, uh, premium cigars. They had good taste. Most of them had solid relationships with a smart tobacconist. And they were just discovering how it sort of fit into this whole lifestyle. So they were, you know, maybe starting to experiment uh, and learn more about uh, brown liquor. They were, they were discovering that there was more to French wine than the first growths. They were discovering that Italy was producing um, and, and Australia uh, and New Zealand were producing wines that were worthy of consideration. This is long after you know, America had muscled its way onto the stage. Uh, again, really thanks to, uh, to, to Marvin and, and, uh, and his publication. But the thing is that the, 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 what we did was up the bar continuously. Now, the end of the boom, the reason why I agree with Pete that it's, in, it's um, maybe this is splitting hairs, maybe this is just uh, um, grammar, but what's happening right now doesn't feel like a boom because when you, when you talk about a boom, essentially what that means is it's a fad and there's this big lift and then everything comes back to earth, right? And essentially that's what we experienced. In other words, that when, when we stopped having the insane growth of the, of the 90s, it felt like the end of the world. Mm -hmm. the, the, market, the market still retained, look, the, the, the year following uh, the, the, the quote unquote end of the boom of the 90s, the, the, the import levels are at like 300 million. I think it might have been just a little under 300 million. So what that meant was effectively in less than a decade, we had tripled the size of the market. And all of those cigars were selling. In other words, it wasn't like, it wasn't like the fad ended and nobody wanted to smoke anymore. We had widened the audience, created this whole new generation. The, the single thing that I think you can say that the boom did, as opposed, you know, look, the boom created a stage where cigar media of every kind could flourish, which had never happened before, never. I mean, it was almost like secret knowledge and you, you know, it was only passed on father to son or friend to friend. There was no, there was no such thing as, as a, as a real uh, um, vehicle to, to, to pass knowledge on. But um, so, so that's one aspect of the boom, but when the boom uh, ended when the, when when the era of of selling fifteen dollar Don Nobody cigars and and there was never a question about whether or not you were going to be able to move it. Once that passed, the great makers, you know, the Fuentes never stopped being back ordered. Uh, the the Padrones were were exploding. Uh, you know, Placencia was building the the identity that would lead him to be able to create his own family brand. All of this stuff, those guys kept selling their cigars and they were selling into a market, which literally, like I said, this is not an exaggeration. All of this is statistics and government statistics. We tripled the market. And as that time passed, the consumers became so much more sophisticated, maybe the wrong way to say it, but more experienced. Educated. 
educated, but more confident, right? In other words, they they were they were able to say, oh well, I I, I at least I have this baseline knowledge, and I know this. You know, I like this. And, and uh, it might have been at a simple level and it might have been something that they would grow past. You know, in other words, if you talk to people who started smoking cigars in 97 or 98, they're almost ashamed to tell you what they were smoking in 97 and 98, right? <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, you know, but it doesn't matter because what it did was bring them in and expose them and the conditions just kept growing. So when you think about it, you know, Pete comes along. Uh, Pete comes along and 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 creates this explosion, this sort of comet tail behind him of people who wanted to come at the cigar business in another way. In other words, they didn't want to have to say, "My grandfather was born in Cuba, and and uh, you know, my family's been raising tobacco for generations, and that kind of stuff." Uh, I just happened to go to college first and now I'm back. That kind of that story, which we heard endlessly. Instead, there were all these people that were, you know, with, for lack of a better word, they were hipsters. They were coming in going, oh, man, you know, uh, I love cigars and I know this and this and this. And here's a fresh way to look at it. Here's a fresh way to do it. And this is my idea of what's cool and great. And by the way, you you put your finger right on it, too, when you uh, uh, Pete, when you said Tony Borhani was a guy that showed a lot of people that you didn't have to be. Um, yeah. You know, you didn't have to be a legacy guy, and uh, and and God bless. You know, we're all so fortunate that all of that happened. But what yeah. most of all, what we're you know we're we're fortunate that Carlito was driven to create an identity outside of his father's shadow. So we got Opus. We we got Pete looking around and, 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 and ending up with Pepin and creating Tatuaje uh, and Dion going, okay, these guys can't be the only ones who can do that, right? And, and so these one after another, these things happened that, that meant that what was going into the marketplace was a much, much more layered and, and uh, uh, rooted cigar. It might be new, it might be sexy, it might be you know, different, but it was something that was rooted in what makes cigars great, which is the dedication to the leaf, the blending and the aging, right? In other words, it, 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 all the things that have passed and have gone away were people that, 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 that got distracted by the idea that having a sexy band or a cool box or a great marketing campaign was their ticket to the future. What it is, is their, their ticket to the, the dusty closet of the Losers Hall of Fame, right? And instead, these people who respected the roots of the business, the, the, what makes it, what, what, the very things that attract people to it. Like, so here's, here's the thing, and, and Pete, this is no offense to you because it, it, it includes me, uh, uh, long before you, normal people are not attracted to the cigar industry, right? You understand what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. No. It is. This is the. Yeah, we're we're an odd bunch for sure. Yeah, right. yeah definitely. And, and we're contrarian in nature, you know. Uh, we're 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 absolutely like uh, uh, you know. I, there's a I, I forget the uh, I forget the organization that posted it, but I, this I, the guy sent me this picture. He was driving by, and it's a uh, it's a it's a, a a cancer awareness campaign. I think it was by the American Cancer Society, and it said um, 
three million men will die because they refuse to get a, uh, uh, this test, right? And somebody had spray painted on the sign, no, we won't, <laughs> right? So that's the cigar business. We're the most stubborn, contrary, fucked up. I mean, the minds, the creativity, the discipline, the energy that goes into all of these people that, that are making the cigar industry such a great place for us to be in today. Thank you. Who knows, man? These guys could have invented Twitter and it wouldn't have been, you know, Elon Musk's plaything. Or they could have invented, uh, you know, uh, a better segue, whatever. Who, who knows, you know? But, but the thing is, they're, by, by, by virtue of some quirk, they are attracted to this business. And if you think about it, Coop, you and Bear, you've had so many of these characters on your show. And you just look mm -hmm. at them and go, those guys are not normal. That is not, you know, the, the, the typical path. And a lot of them will tell you, oh, yeah, you know, I was going to be a lawyer or I was going to be, a, you know, stock, whatever. And they said, and I, and I got bit by the cigar bug. Yeah, I, I get that all the time. My, my sister, who, who knows almost nothing about this industry, but she, I, she's attracted to story. She's attracted to art. And in, in, in all its very fast that she's a registrar uh, at the Whitney Museum in New York. And, and, uh, and I said, hey, you really need to listen to this person's story. You really need to listen to this person's story. And she's she's captivated by these individuals. Like you said, it's I mean, they're they're We yeah, by nature, we we are a, we are an odd bunch. It's it's and that's why I do this because I love these conversations and what they generate because of, uh, everyone is so unique and so different. And there's you know, there there's not a boring person in the cigar industry. There really isn't. Uh, you know, I mean, we could probably well, drop few, some names and stuff. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there are some that are less less interesting than others, right. less interesting than others. But to to Pete's point about how this this secondary boom of this whatever this is in this this day and age, I compare it to kind of like um, in football they talk about coaching, you know, coaching trees, right? You know, the, uh, the people, you know, where it all kind of started and how the branched off and everything. And we, we kind of have that now to, to Pete's point, like we're, it's, it's more, it's more communal. It's more cultural in the, in the aspect. Like, if you think of like S Steve Saka, Nick Malolo, they came from the Drew estate coaching arm and, and, you know, Pepin and, and, and Pete have their, and, and, you know, Pete's brother and Dan are, are, are part of that little thing thing too and it, it, they you know they're it's a family business yes but it's they've put their own little niche and their own little mark uh building on what pete uh did with pepin and and we, i mean we could go on and on with this i mean it, it's and and someone like mickey peg you know who i mean talk about an og in the business right i mean he did retail he you know he worked with cao and john huber you know he worked with with davidoff and and uh and now he's he's coming he's coming back he's coming back to the industry he had that hiatus and and uh, and like it's he couldn't, he couldn't, it's really cool he couldn't leave it alone Mickey yeah. couldn't leave it alone he's a great example and you had that too George right I mean radar uh, radar magazine or whatever it was I mean yeah. you you left for a little bit I I've tried you know I I don't want to quote the Godfather but but I've tried to leave the business a few times but uh, <laughs> somehow they just keep dragging me back. And, and listen, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm the better for, I'm blessed. There, there's so many great things have happened. So many places I've been, people I've met, experiences that I've had. No other business would have granted that same level of experience. No, no other uh, industry. I mean, look, even the wine business, and people tell you this because he's, he's uh, uh, been in and around it. The wine business is filled. There, there are plenty of characters and they're, they're equally contrarian in terms of their respect. But overall, they're a lot more buttoned up, and they're a lot more um, they're a lot more conservative about uh, uh, their approach and 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 how they describe uh, what they do. Uh, they're 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 much more um, slaves to um, tradition and history. Uh, and, and, and I said, look, you know, we're we're we we were around when Randall Graham was making his bones in the. Uh, you know the Roan Rangers were uh, were taking over the world, so it isn't like there haven't been great characters. But if you think the wine and spirits industry is is uh, is as filled with uh, characters as the cigar industry has, you haven't spent enough time at trade shows with those stiffs, and they're stuck <laughs> up at it, right? I'm telling you, there and 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 for 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 every Booker No, there's 20 Jim Rutledges. <laughs> So to the to go way back into our conversation, George, and we were talking about, and and Pete mentioned this about how the young the the young folk that gravitated towards you in the in the mid '90s and everything. Is there is there a group of of individuals? And if, feel free to name names if you're not. But it's this um, this question is actually from the chat. Jonathan Herring's asking if are there any young guns of today in this generation that you see that will be the the next that you see will they need the next Pete Johnson uh, or the next John Huber? Uh, to use some examples, or Michael Herklotz. Well, yeah, yeah, there, there, there are, but, but I will tell you this: I hesitate to name them right now, uh, for the simple reason that uh, I don't want to put a burden on them. Look, giving yourself the task of being the next Pete Johnson is like <laughs> saying, uh, I, you know, I'm going to be the next Sammy Sosa. Yeah, the next right? Tom Brady oh, or whatever. Oh, yeah, not happening. You can't, uh, uh, and, and to do that, to do that, but the problem is that, that, look, you know, you can have that as your personal motivation. In other words, that can be a conversation where you go, oh, you know, look, this guy, he, look what he did. I can do something like that and set off on a path as long as what you're pursuing is what you really want and what you really believe, then yeah, the world is your oyster. There's potential all over the place. But if all you're trying to do is mimic what he did, if you're just trying to take a page from the Pete playbook, you're going to end up like all the other guys that have tried and failed, right? So, yeah, there, I, I'm encouraged by the fact that there's a lot of young people around the business today. What I'm discouraged by is that so many of them are people that are thinking that their ticket is the way that they can use social media to advance their branding, as opposed to... I'm living in the factory and I'm spending time uh, with these guys and I'm examining bales and bales of tobacco and I'm trying this and this and this and being brave enough to put out some things which might be failures. Listen, you know, and, and think about this, you know, Nick is a great example of that. Nick is a guy that tried and tried and tried. He couldn't. And, and, and by the way, for the best example that anybody can have, how about Rocky Patel? 
Rocky yeah. Patel is a guy, you know, Rocky was the hardest working man in show business. He would be out there and everything was great. Rocky cigars would sell like hotcakes while he was in your store, hanging out with your customers and everybody was having a good time. And the minute that he left, those fucking cigars were there and they were like glue stuck to your shelf. They were not yeah. going to sell, right? And Rocky could not, he, for, for the, no matter what he did, no matter where he went, he got a lot of tough breaks. He just couldn't get a cigar that would get traction. And then one day, one thing happened. And uh, again, same thing. Meeting somebody and being inspired to go all in on what they were trying to do and putting a product out and all of a sudden it was like wildfire. And the thing is, retailers were all behind that 100% because they all liked Rocky. They all wanted to support Rocky, but they just said, you know, look, you know, when I buy cigars from you, I got to order fucking cupcakes at the same time because I know a year later I'm going to have to throw them a birthday party. They're still going to be here in my fucking store. Wow. <laughs> that's the he only. pushed through it, though. Yeah, he, that's the he just kept he just kept his head down and kept kept working and learning and, and doing the same thing. Finding the people that he knew had the answers and spending time with them. Yeah. Right. So God bless, you know, because we're all again, same thing. We're all better off for it. I agree. Rocky, uh, Rocky has become a force, and I think he's one of the best assets that the industry has. Well, and think about him as a spokesperson too, right? In other words, Rocky, Rocky, in terms of a guy that that's that's telling this story. Uh, and, 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 and being honest about his, his, uh, you know, his passion about, you know, why he stayed in it. I mean, I, I can remember riding around LA with Rocky when he had those, uh, silly humidors in the, in his trunk that had the, the carpets, the Indian carpets glued to the top. I mean, yep. he had anything to, uh, you know, and it was great. And he was still, you know, he still was practicing law. So, you know, it's like, oh my God, you know, the, 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 the leap that he made and the commitment that he showed to, to his belief in this, powerful. What about you, Pete? Are, are you encouraged by today's youth in the industry? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I, I grew up from a different school of mentality when it comes to this industry. I really love the tradition. I love paying respect to the people that, that came before me. There are a few people that, that do that, and there are a couple people out there that think that they're reinventing the whole industry. This is not an industry you reinvent. This is a, an industry you carry forward and be part of it. You, you can't think that uh, you come up with a better trick than everybody else. You have to, you have to, you have to look, you have to look forward and backward at the same time. You can't just think that you're the only, only person doing the most creative thing out there. What you think is, the thing is that for most of these people, when you actually break down what they decide to do in that respect, what they think is new is something that we saw 40, 50, 60 years ago. There's, there is no, there is no new, um, there's, a, there's a new way to package something. Uh, there might even be a new way, a new method to bullshit about it, but that none of that affects um, the tobacco that grew out of the ground and how you blended it into a cigar. And that's where your, that's where your durability, that's where your longevity comes from. And nobody, nobody has learned that because you're, you're, you continue to innovate at the same time that you um, are working within your house style, which I think is very distinct. 
I believe in it a thousand percent. Um, but you continue to surprise us. You continue to give us things that are like, wow, holy, where did that come from? Yeah, I think it's really just about challenging yourself. And like you said earlier, uh, and John Huber repeats this multiple times, follow your own path. Um, because you, you have to have your own thing, but don't try to be someone else. Just it's better just to be yourself. And again, when I started the brand with Papine, I wanted old school mentality, old school blending that style. And people that he had met before me were trying to convince him to make the next Opus X, to make the next Padron. You can't do that. You just have to make something that's that's truly you no, and not what is someone else. It's Tatuaje, and it's a pillar just like they are. Well, I guess, George, you know, Bear mentioned it. Like, like a quarterback, a young quarterback can't go in and say, well, I have the same throwing style as Tom Brady and expect to be just like Tom Brady. He needs mm-hmm. to kind of reinvent that. Look at, look at a kid like Patrick Mahomes. What a quarterback that this kid is. He's just okay. a beast. And he, he took example. every every aspect of the game, and he learned it, and he can go toe to toe with Tom Brady. Made it his own, made it his own. But the guy yeah. that I like way better than that, way better, is Joe Burrow. Yeah, everybody likes <laughs> Joe Burrow. No, 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 well, no. we we all like him because he's a cigar smoker. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's interesting. He he's a great guy, uh, but he's he's really like this much. His dad is a serious cigar guy. So I got Joe cigars for the AFC uh, playoff game, special cigars, and uh, got him a, a kit. And he was so great. He was so nice. He sent me this little video, uh, and he goes, uh, hey, um, I really appreciate this. This is great, and I'm really excited, but uh, uh, I'm going to save these for when we win the Super Bowl. He was like, and I wow. did the same thing. I had stuff. I had, I had everything. I, I arranged all this stuff. And, and you know, there are a bunch of guys on the team uh, – they all they all enjoyed it, but uh, he was like, "I'm not I'm not lighting up a celebratory cigar because we won the AFC championship. I'm lighting up my victory cigar when we win the Super Bowl." You gotta love that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so guys, what I want to do is a couple of housekeeping things we need to do here, um, and, and we're going to continue the conversation. <laughs> Excuse me, continue the conversation. So, uh, Bear, I did it again this week. Um, I forgot to mention the contest. <laughs> okay. So here's the deal. Um, this contest is being combined with last week's contest. It's, it's, it's the same exact contest. There's going to be one winner. Um, and um, Get your hashtags it. ready. Get your hashtags ready. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is coming from our friends at Tobacco Era USA and our friend Rafael Nodal. And does, is that coming up on there? It is. It okay. is. So it is a single year Carenas. I think I did better with that this week, Bear. Yeah. Gift set. You're getting uh, there. It includes the uh, the the tote, the backpack, right? Um, which, by the way, uh, there is one floating around the house here. One of my kids actually, I told you, grabbed it. So it is floating around here and being put to use. Uh, the the flask. The flask. The flask. 
the on the lower right you see the uh the bottle opener which is all that bottle opener is awesome by the way um and they're throwing in a bottle of doers right so here's the catch guys if you entered last week don't enter again this week unless you delete last week's entry there's only one entry allowed per person and the reason why i don't allow multiple entries is because i don't know which is the right answer you were intending right and last week there were a ton after i said there no multiple answers right delete one of your answers there were many, many multiple answers, right? So I don't know how much more clear it could have been. I, I can't, I can't do it. But all one you answer. Have to do, one answer. All you have to do is tell me the rapper on the St. Louis Lake Cadenas, the rapper, and put it in the live stream chat here with the hashtag SLR. Right. So if you go to the Cigar Coop uh, page, if you're watching on wherever this has been shared, you go to the Cigar Coop Facebook page, click on the live stream and in the comment box. And type in your answer. I'll put a sample here in just a second. I'll put the wrong answer, uh, <laughs> so you guys will know that they're all going to put that answer it. down. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I will, but no. But here, leave this graphic up, okay? All you need to do is go to cigar-coop.com. That's cigar-coop.com. There's a handy dandy search key in the right hand corner. That word right on the backpack. Carenas. Type it in. Type it in. The first entry that will come up will tell you the name of the rapper on that cigar. You take that name, you put it in the comment and you hashtag S L R. It's the easiest one in the book. Trust me. You want this prize pack. It's fantastic. That bag. I use it every weekend. It's fantastic. And uh, who doesn't love 12 year old doers? So yeah, I know. It's, it's like I said, it's a great pack. So, so get your answers in right now. Um, as far as that goes. Um, the second housekeeping I'm actually going to include our, our guests in on. Um, we have a new segment there. That, um, yes. Yes. So we are adding a new segment tonight. Um, so One Must Go is being retired. Okay. Uh, we've had One Must Go for about a year and a half. But, you know, um, it was like I think we'll bring a One Must Go back from time to time. Okay. So I think we'll still do it. But as far as uh, we have a an all-new segment um, – and it's coming to us. It's uh, from our friends at United Cigars, and it is on United States of America presidents. Um, so this segment yes. is brought to you by United Cigars, featuring Adriana Bana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron. Buy United, smoke United, live United. So here's the thing that, like, when when this idea came up about presidents, um, we're we're gonna have a question, and we're gonna pose the question to our guests, right? But the I have the additional challenge, okay? And our audience can participate in this. Don't Google it, all right? <laughs> our audience can – here's the catch. I'm sorry. I, I got to say this joke. Can we make this a one-must-go-president thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I had, to, I, had to, I had to throw it out there. Okay, we we could back. actually with the choices. <laughs> right? one, one must go sounds like Juan Valdez, the coffee guy. One yeah. must go is like, uh, we're, we're going to make a cigar brand around right. that. No, that's true. But here's the problem I have with this segment. Okay. The problem is I got to stump Bear, okay, who's an absolute – like, Bear talks about me being the walking encyclopedia on certain things. When it comes to presidents of the United States, I, I, he is a tough one to stump, right? Now, I already know he knows the answer to this one, although he didn't tell me it, right? Um, but uh, what I want to do is um, I'm going to ask a question to, the, to you guys. And I'll name the choices you have for which president it is. And the question is, I want to know which of the fault, which president was the 
first to talk on the telephone. And here are your choices. Ulysses S. Grant, the 18th president. Rutherford B. Hayes, the 19th president. James Garfield, the 20th president. And Chester Arthur, the 21st president. Which, if you want to eliminate one of those guys, that's fine too. But which of those four presidents was the first to talk on the telephone? I'm going to leave this to George. <laughs> George is going to get yeah. Well, uh, we'll talk about Chester A. Arthur and his connection to uh, cigars later. It's not Chester oh, A. Oh, I can't wait for this. I want to say that the right answer is Garfield. There? Uh, you confirm or deny that? Uh, it is actually not James Garfield. Is not. Um, it's it's close. I mean, it, I think Coop did a really good job of making this difficult because he put like these these presidents are I mean all in the same era. They're almost back to back. But um, believe it or not, it was it was Rutherford Rutherford B Hayes was the was first person. Yeah, um, who installed it? Actually, guys, a hundred almost one hundred and forty five years to the day. I believe it was May or April 1877. Am I right, Coop? Yeah. Wow. But it was really close. I mean, you were right at the... He was the first guy to have a phone in the White House, is what you're mm -hmm. saying. Yeah. He was, yeah, he installed it. Yeah, he was the first person to take a phone call in the White House. Now, here's the here's a fun fact, too. You were going to mention Arthur and, and his connection to cigars. I definitely want to get to that bit. But actually, he, he was the first person to take a call in the White House. But the first president to actually install a phone line to the president's desk in the Oval Office came 50 years later. 50 years later, it's Herbert wow. Hoover. Wow. Which is, which, I mean, you think about, I mean, that's half a century. I mean, think about where, where we were 50 years ago. Um, and, you know, and 50 years later, after uh, Hayes took the first phone call in the White House, Hoover installs the first phone line to uh, on the on the desk of the president in the Oval Office. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's crazy how how quickly technology has evolved in the last 50 years for us. And then to look back at that and say, wow, you know, it took 50 years for the from the first phone call to say, let's hook up a let's hook up a phone here to the desk. So, OK, so, you know, that's a great fact. Now, I knew about Ulysses as Grant's ties to cigars, mm -hmm. but the Chester Arthur one, I didn't know about, guys. Chester A. Arthur was a real serious cigar smoker who at one point, I think, was actually invested in a, um, a Pennsylvania cigar factory, if I'm not mistaken. But Chester A. Arthur is the guy that John Nance Garner was speaking to on the Senate floor when the orator was up there saying what this country needs, you know, making his famous speech. And Garner turned to Chester Arthur and said, what this country really needs is a good five cent cigar. Five cent cigar, that's right. And it was to Chester A. Arthur. And the reason is because Chester A. Arthur was a serious cigar smoker and John Nance Garner was a fucking piker who smoked drugstore cigars. Well, we're getting a little clarification there on the um, on the trivia quiz. Yeah, on the Rutherford B. Hayes, like on the installation of that telephone line for President Hayes. 
Uh, Jay Davis has said that it was Jose Blanco who installed that phone <laughs> and uh, made the first phone call. Uh, Jose Jose Blanco Jose Blanco intercepted the first phone call <laughs> and said no. Well, I'll tell you, you know, see, you think about it, like uh, uh, the, the 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 White House phone lines are the are the are the modern innovation in uh, diplomacy. You know, in other words, uh, uh, it went in in Rutherford B. Hayes in those eras. The only people they had to worry about communicating with were the Brits. And, and everything was done. Everything was done through the transatlantic cable. In other words, when the president wanted to get something to the uh, powers that be in London, he he called the, uh, um, uh, the the ambassador into his office from the uh, from the local embassy, and that guy would run out and send a uh, a coded telegram, and then they would wait uh, overnight for the response. As opposed to Jack Kennedy being able to pick up the phone, the red phone, and talk to Khrushchev. Interesting. Over over Cuba. In other words, right. the, the, the 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 that uh, instrument and its and its position in uh, U.S. history was cemented by the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. Right. Oh. All right, guys. So I think that was our United President segment, our first one. Um, and uh, brought to you by United Cigars. So let's, hey, let's get back to the conversation. And, you know, we were talking a little about the boom and we were kind of comparing the first boom to the way things are now. Um, and Bear, you had this question for Pete on, on the consumer base. I think this is a really good question. So uh, I'll, I'll kind of turn that one over to you. Yeah, I mean, you have, you have extensive experiences we've talked about at length, um, but, you know, I mean, you started you know, in the retail space where you were, you were actually selling cigars to, to consumers. And then of course you become a brand owner manufacturer and you, you have your own customers at that point as well, the end consumer that being, but what have you noticed from the time that you started making cigars with Pepin till now, like what's changed about your customer specifically? I, I think the, the customer base like that, that follows the brand really wants to know more about the cigars that's the the one key thing that that keeps on popping up is that people want to know more they want to be educated about what they're smoking they don't walk into a store blind anymore uh i mean there are people out there that that still you know go in and grab their cigar that they've always smoked for the last 20 30 years but there's a new generation of of, uh, consumers that that want to learn about the culture more and understand how it's processed, how it's put together, kind of like the, the again, we're, 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 we're cigar geeks. We're, we're nerds. We, we want to, we want to, you know, fill that sponge up as much as possible. Think about the people that, that do it with wine and, and, and bourbons and whiskeys and stuff like that. They do the same thing. They go down the, the rabbit hole and they, they kind of understand more about the product that they're putting in their mouth. I think it's great because I think it's, uh, it's needed. Education is power. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, is it, a, is it a, not that, it, and, and I'm careful here because I don't want to make it sound like it was a bore when you first started, but is it a lot more fun to talk to your consumers now? Because like we've talked about, we're all nerds, and and, and you're and you're one of those. I mean, now that now that everyone else is more nerdy too, does it, it does it make it a little bit more fun for you, more engaging? Yeah, because I still geek out about talking about cigars and, and what they do for me personally, and and how 
how a cigar can time travel me back, you know, 20, 30 years. And you pick up a cigar that you've never smoked and it reminds you of something that yeah. you smoked earlier. The, the newer generation doesn't understand that quite yet, but they will eventually get that where they smoke a cigar 10 years from now and they, they start to time travel back in time and go, wow, that reminds me of my first cigar I ever smoked. That mm -hmm. type of thing. I, I think it's, it's fun to, to hang out with people that geek out as much as I do. Oh, and you gave that, you gave that to us, right? You gave that with this year. Well, and you've done that with several renditions, but you gave that to us most recently with the Frank Redux, right? I mean, the mm -hmm. Frank, you know, uh, you know, kickstarted, which I still say is, is the most iconic series of limited edition cigars. And then you brought back the Frank and the Redux. And so, and you wanted that conversation. You wanted them to say like, okay, you know, how, you know, how is this compared to your first experience? Or for me, who I never actually smoked the original Frank and the original Vitola. It was, it was such a treat, even though, yes, it's different. Like we've talked about mm -hmm. a couple dozen times, but it was, it was nice to, it was really enjoyable to smoke that piece of history uh, in a way, even though it's, it's new. Right. And, and. Yeah. George was actually part of my, my Frank, uh, the original Frank release. He was working with uh, Jude over at Jay Barbera. Exactly. We and, were. Uh, we were one, you of, the, were one uh, of the unlucky 13. Unlucky 13. And boy, what a day that was. Spectacular. Uh, and and the, the draft the next year was great. But you're but the, you know, the other thing you got to realize is that that Pete has to deal with a different uh, kind of customer now because all the people that are there want to learn the inside uh, scoop on the cigars that they're planning on hoarding. Because half these people are buying these cigars and going, oh, I'm going to keep this. You know, in those days, man, it, you know, when we, when we were first starting this out, people are smoking them and burning them and going, these are great. You know, and people are telling Pete, oh, listen, I, I love these because I can smoke these now. I don't have to spend three times the price on fake Havana's uh, from the guys. I'm, I'm happy to smoke these instead. And the, but there was never about hoarding. They were like, I got to have more of these. I want to share them with my friends. And, you know, I want to turn other people on to them. Now it's like, oh, my God, you know, I have to be able to get a dress box. And then I need but anyway, uh, the thing is that these the, the, the that culture has now grown to the point where you have people who are like, you know, they're they're making relationships with tobacconists just so they can be sure to get X, Y, Z release. And they're and they're not talking about buying a handful of cigars. It's a question of how many boxes will you sell them or yeah. how many can they get their hands on? Oh, absolutely. And the, what's wrong, what's wrong with where we are right now is that there are not enough retailers that know how to cultivate and reward. In other words, manage their inventory to take care of that kind of customer, to groom them up. Most of them are just like, oh, I got a hot cigar. Everybody wants it. So, you know, how much can I put on top of MSRP to sell these? Right. In other words, they're not they're not thinking. All right. And, and, and just think of it. Think of it yourselves in the tobacconist that, you know, including, you know, people that you could count as your friends and everything. How many of them do you see that are going that are looking through their uh, their their buys, their inventories like, you know, in the fall after they've been to the trade show and maybe, you know, made their bets on what they think is going to boom or not, you know, what's going to sell. 
how many retailers do you know that are actively laying down saved inventory that they plan on bringing out a year, two years, three years later? Handful. Not many. Yeah, there's not many. The thing is, that used to be the function of the tobacconist was to select the inventory, to put aside what was not only age-worthy, but that, that was going to be this magnet for his clients, and then to select, okay, these are the things that you can buy and smoke now, and this is what you can use for XYZ circumstance. And, and they, they were the people, they were the arbiters, they would tell you when you came in, this is an age-worthy product, buy it now, and by the way, I'm putting X aside. And five years down the road, they come back to you and say, by the way, remember I told you about this? Boom, here it is. And now, uh, you know, remember I, I told you that you could buy it then for, uh, for $8 a cigar. Well, now it's 28 right? <laughs> so, and the guys are like, oh, shit, I remember that cigar. It was one of the best things I ever smoked. How many can I have? Well, because you didn't take my advice, I'm only going to sell you 10, right? I mean, it's re retailers have abandoned the idea that they are supposed to be um, not just your your confidant, but your consigliere. They're supposed to coach you to say, you need to do this and this and this. And by the way, if you need humidor space, okay, I'll rent you some humidor space and we'll start putting aside cigars for you. But the thing is, most of them are just content to lay back and say, I got the, I got, I got, you know, seven of the of the top 10 cigars of the of CA's top 25 so I can sell those and and bang it out and that's you know I'm going I'm going to crank my cash register for for a week or 10 days and that's it and then move on to the next thing instead of saying listen when you find something that falls into this category when you get the number 1 or the number 2 cigar whatever buy that cigar and put it down because it's only going to improve. In fact, you may be disappointed by what happens when you first light it up. I mean, mm -hmm. you guys, we've been through this with, with your own analysis of your top picks and going back and saying, okay, here's the big cigar of the, you know, here's, here's my top five cigars of, of, of 2021. And, and you look and go, okay, I don't, this cigar doesn't smoke the way I remember it. No, yeah. because something else is happening. And part of it is that, you know, when a cigar becomes a hit, the pressure on the manufacturer to put product into the marketplace is almost unimaginable. Yeah. And what happens is, what happens is that a cigar gets into the marketplace that doesn't necessarily deserve to be bought and smoked right there. Doesn't mean it's a bad cigar. Doesn't mean it isn't worthy of the ranking. It's just that if you take it and light it up right then, you're going to go, what the fuck are these guys thinking? This is the number three cigar of the year. What do they know about cigars? Right. I know more because I pay attention to my phone. <laughs> well, George, you bring up a you kind of bring up an interesting subject about the, the tobacconist being this this learned counsel. And I want to I'm going to be careful about the way I word this next question, because I, um, I and Pete and I know each other well enough now. I think he knows how much I hold him in high regard and he's done limited edition releases. And we just talked about the monster series as an example, but hasn't but hasn't the manufacturer almost taken that uh, that responsibility or away from away from the tobaccos now with so many limited editions and the market for limited editions now that they're releasing well yeah well, I, 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 real quick i think it's the the product of uh you know the consumer base wanting the new new always wanting the new new right instead of you know the biggest thing that i geek out on and i love talking to people especially some 
you know, some of the top Hawaii collectors is when there's a, there's a small group, but there is a group out there. They go because we box date everything. We date stamp every box. I love the guys that go into stores and start flipping boxes to find older product that's been sitting on the shelf because one, I geek out on it. I get, I get crazy happy when I see that someone found a box from 2009, 2010 that, that was sitting in a store that got lost in the inventory shuffle. And a lot of times I get to benefit from it because a lot of these guys send me cigars and they go, have you had one of your cigars from 2009? I'm like, of course I have. I save a lot of my own stuff, but it's always a treat to see that other people are like me in that sense where they want to go hunting because I come from a family that, that does antiquing and I used to love and go to go hunting with my father and my mother to find rare oddities. Right. And that's and what hunt, day stamping is, boxes works out great for that. The hunt, the hunt is, is, is part of the joy. Uh, it's not just the occasional find that validates all of your efforts. It's the search. But I, to bear, to get back to your question about the, uh, the idea of the manufacturer versus the retailer, I believe that it's really, um, it's a default situation. In other words, the manufacturers have essentially had to take over that role because the retail community taken as a group don't assume that responsibility anymore. In other words, most retailers these days are not like, uh, they're, they're not going, they're not treating their customers like carriage trade people. They're not counseling them the way the wine buyer at an elite uh, spirit store does and says, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that and buy this and put this down. And, and you know, they, they don't have those same conversations. Part of that is because the people aren't coming in the same way, but mostly it's because we have created a consumer society that wants everything now. They don't want to wait. They don't want to, they don't want to have to, you know, take something and lay it down and, and wait for the moment when it pays off. Instead, they want to say, oh, this got the highest rating. It's the hottest thing out there. It's the hardest thing to get your hands on. I want them. I want them now. And I want to be able to flash them around to my friends. And that's not the same thing because you're not essentially what those people are not responding to the same level. Now, this there are there are fantastic cigar collectors out there. Uh, you know, Pete and I between us know uh, a number of people that are uh, really impressive in their passion and their commitment and their, um, you know, their their ability to track everything that they've bought and saved and owned and how to go back into it. But the vast majority of people are like, you know, oh, yeah, well, you know, I have some things in my humidor. I have a dozen or 15 cigars in there that are that, you know, they say they're old and it means that they're two or three years old, which is nothing in the scheme of things that we're talking about. Right. And I, I mean, it goes back to how we started this conversation there, which is me telling you, oh, my God, that esprit, that 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 verite. You know, that's a cigar that that absolutely rewards your patience. It's a it's a it's a true it's a real trophy cigar. And to, and to smoke it at, at, at a moment when you can sit there and go, oh, wow. And 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 to think about how they are now, as opposed to what we experienced when they first came out is, is such a joy.
it's so it's so rewarding it was an, it was it was an incredible cigar i really i mean i think you know present company obviously um made it much more impactful than uh uh for me as well but um i i really enjoyed everything about it um i remember smoking it um not really the first release probably pretty close to it and and i really enjoyed it then but like you said it was it was a different very much different experience I, I agree with that. I agree with that sentiment that there, there is a, there is a lack of patience and, and everything. And, and this is where I was going to counter my point about what, Pete, what you've done with limited editions. I, you, you have that, you have, you, you, you do, you do release those kind of as almost kind of like treats because what you've built over the years is this, this foundation and, and Coop and I've talked about that. We talked about yeah. this as recently as last week, which is the, the, the core competency the the core brands that you've built have built such a a legacied foundation for your brand that it, it really is a treat when you do the limited editions and stuff instead of it's just limited 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 and i think that that's you know th that was the point of my question to you george was and to you too p was just like i think that a, that some manufacturers have taken that that responsibility away from the tobacconist about Hey, this this is special. This is what you need to do with it, and, and why, and yeah. everything, um, because they're almost kind of doing it for you. And and and, and it's cool in, in one stretch, but at the same time, I I look forward to to those conversations when I was working retail as heavily as I was. Well, when a manufacturer offers you a callback experience, you know, when they say, "Oh, well, we're going to re-release X number of boxes of this blend that we did in 2015 or whatever," you know, pull the number, uh, and 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 you, it's something that you know that you remember fondly, but you don't have any more of in your stash, and you go, "Oh, this is great," but when you smoke it, right when you get that new version on release, you go, "Hmm." Okay, and it, it says you're getting a different experience. And the, the thing is that what you need to be thinking is, oh my God, there's a reason why I love these and the reason why I keep them. Now I gotta lay these down and you've gotta take that next step. That's why I say the next development for, for, for everybody that considers themselves a real connoisseur right now is how to expand their humidor capacity, whether it's additional desktops or making a walk-in, whatever, but everybody needs to expand their storage. They need to, they need to expand their ability to buy and enjoy a solid cigar now and watch it turn into a miracle. Because what age does for tobacco is as marvelous as what happens to whiskey in a barrel. You did that with the Karloff, Pete, just recently. If we're talking about in recent history too, you brought uh, you brought a, a small segment back for uh, uh, for uh, oh gosh, TAA, correct? Last year? Yeah, last year that was, but that was a reproduction of of the original cigar so obviously okay. right it wasn't a reissue of cigars that were made before it was you were reproducing exactly we, we we reproduced the 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 cigar specifically originally it was for overseas or international market but yeah. then i was sitting on the product here in the united states trying to figure out what i was going to do with it and eventually i just said okay i'm going to offer it to this group of retailers it uh it was not the old cigar that has been sitting there forever Honestly, over the years, I've, I've saved a lot of cigars over production. Obviously, La Verite, I saved a lot more. But there are things that I wish I would have put down, like even a, even a batch of 
a thousand sticks put down and just forgot about them. And that's kind of what I've been doing lately with some of the stuff that I'm doing in Miami. I put them away and really just forgetting about them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not so great for, for my wife's company because she makes all the cigars and she looks at them in her warehouse going, are you going to take these? And I'm like, yeah, I'll get to them eventually. You know, so it's, it, I'm trying to do that whole thing, but to George's point and to what you, you were saying about the retailers, the smart retailer would grab, let's say, 50 boxes of something, sell 25, put 25 away, exactly and, and do what you're talking about is re-release them themselves because they know, okay, this isn't going to come out again or maybe not for a long time. So I'm going to let it sit for five years and bring out these treats later on. So people go, holy shit, where'd you, where'd you get these things? Right. We did that at Michael's with the Michael, ironically. We did that with the, yeah. with the, with the Michael. We, we, had, uh, we, not too many, but we, we put aside some boxes of the Michael. And then the following year in, in celebration of the next month's release, we, we, we brought back those few boxes of the Michael. And that, that was, that was, a, that was a lot of fun. Cause we have a, a lot of uh, very feverish uh, Tatuaje fans in our customer base and on, on, and on staff as well. So that was something well, we were really excited about. I mean, that's also the other, the other problem with that whole scenario of limited editions. You know, uh, let's say the retailer gets 50 boxes and all of a sudden he has 50 guys walk through the door and want it right then. He can't even afford mm-hmm. to save it because one, the, the cash is in front of him yeah. and he's hoping that he can turn that inventory and move it to something else. But it's kind of like with the wine collecting, with I done, which I did over the years. Like I bought wine when I had no money and I put it away and I kept on putting it away because now I get to drink fabulous bottles of wine that I paid nothing for. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, wow, I'm drinking a hundred dollar bottle of wine that I paid $15 for. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Nice. I mean, I, I wish, honestly, I, I made a joke about this a few weeks ago about how it would be my buddy uh, in London kept on talking about how Bahiki prices were going through the roof. And it was like that joke of like, wow, I wish I had like a, a big stash of money where I could find every BEK out there and just put it away and, you know, sell them 10 years from now, not knowing that Habanos was yeah. going to triple the price. Yeah. Because Bahikes are selling for $300, a 300 pound a stick. Jeez. Which are, well, it's just obnoxious. And, and Habanos, the new benchmark for Habanos is Hong Kong prices. Hong Kong yeah. prices used to be the heart attack price. You know, it's the most expensive place on earth to to buy the cigars, and now it's the uh, it's it's literally the uh, the. And again, it's the same same motivation always. It's them wanting to get more of the money that consumers a bigger share of the money that consumers are willing to pay for the uh, for the cigars. You know, but don't forget. Those problems that they're, you know, they're going to continue to struggle to, to meet production and demand for that. There's going to be a, a, a narrower and narrower band of people in the Habanos universe that get those trophy sticks like Cohiba, Bahike, and Trinidad uh, and, the, and the super uh, successful uh, uh, Edición Limitadas, right? And all that's going to do is put greater pressure on you, Pete, on Carlito, on George, on the people that are producing the other non-Cuban 
benchmark cigars, the ones that are that are absolutely setting the standard for everything else in the industry. And people are going to be like, oh, I got to buy those. You're going to have yeah. more demand than you've ever had before. And Opus X has been doing it for years. Well, I mean, people that collect Opus X and you, you, you're able to find, you know, go into a room where you have all these old boxes of Opus, they're, yeah. they're worth, it's the same size, but they're worth three times the price of what the new release of, of the same cigar. Exactly because people right. like those ones that are that are aged, and that's really where you know, like if you think about Gerard, when he was uh, you know around and doing cigars, he would he would sell you the box, but he would tell you that, that he's going to keep it for a while before you could get it. Yeah. Like it, it well, was he would dictate to you when you were able to smoke it. Wow. He, yeah, I, I, I don't think that that culture is there right now with us. I mean, again. Um, Someone mentioned, is it the, the manufacturer's responsibility to, to educate the retailers in the chat room? It, it is, but we can't tell the retailer, hold on to these for five years. Yeah. Because it, it, we're, we're playing with other people's money at that point. Yeah, I, I still, one of my favorite, I, I, Pete's heard this a couple of times. One of my favorite uh, Pete Johnson stories uh, was about we were uh, Michaels was one of the members of the unlucky 13 for the for the for the Voorhees and for the Jason and uh, a, a guy called actually from uh, from Bahrain asking if he could get a box and the general manager that I worked for Tracy Spence said uh, no this is for I mean uh, man I, I'd love to accommodate you but I mean I mean, I'm getting calls from from everywhere and I've got, you know, I've got customers here that I need to take care of. He's like, so if I walked into the store, um, you'd sell it to me. He's like, yeah, but they're going to be gone by tomorrow. And he's like, he's like, no problem. And I'll be damned if that guy got on a plane <laughs> in Bahrain and flew to DFW, walked into our store. He said, hey, I'm that guy on the phone. I want to buy the I want to buy a box. And he bought the bought the box, walked out presumably got it back on a plane and flew halfway across the world. So yeah. <laughs> it's one of yeah. my, fa it's one of my favorite stories. Cause I, 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 I couldn't believe it. I, if I hadn't been a part of it, I, I wouldn't have believed it, but I, I saw it in the flesh. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I, I know a lot of stories like that where people have sent cars to pick up cigars that they, they weren't local. And I was happening to be doing an event someplace and you could only get the cigar at the event. And a guy had a, a driver, almost essentially an Uber driver in a sense, come in and uh, purchase the cigars and off they went. I mean, it just it's amazing to people that, to see the, the drive of people when they want something. I mean, I do the same thing with, with certain luxuries in life, you know, wine, whiskeys. If I have to get on a plane to go to Bardstown to get a special release of Willet, I'll do it sometime, <laughs> knowing that I'm the only, you know, I'm one of 15 people that can get it, that type of thing. You know what you should do, Pete? You should make a special cigar. You should make a special cigar called the Line Standard for uh, for guys that are waiting for uh, whiskey releases uh, on the bourbon trail. <laughs> Right? Yeah, and yeah. You can, and, only buy, you can only buy it in the gift shop of the uh, of the of the whiskey stores, uh, you know, of, of the distilleries. I nice. I actually sat at the bar at Willet, and I was sitting next to this guy that just kept on feeding me 
shots. He's just kept on feeding me pours. I go, what do you do? He goes, I turn whiskey. I, I flip whiskey. I, I was like, really? He goes, yeah, I have, I have people that stand in lines all across this town. I was like, what? Like he goes, yeah, it's, it's my business. I have, I have a crew of people that stand in line, wait for the stuff. And we get all the limited edition stuff and we, we flip wow. it. And I'm like, damn. And, and then I kind of figured out shit. No wonder he's paying, you know, paying $300 a pour at Willet for something that's, you know, 27 years old. Well, that, that's one of the ways you save in good graces, too. Yeah, yeah, true. Keep, keep, uh, keep doing it. And, and listen, I, I, I'm all for the guys that want to expend their energy like that. I'm less uh, uh, amused at the uh, gouging that goes on in the secondary market. Uh, but, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's what the market will bear. And it's, uh, it's no good, you know. In other words, the, uh, the, the, what it drives is the same thing that we're talking about with, uh, with, with guys and, you know, cigar releases from the top 25 um, in, in, in a January and February sales environment. The, uh, the, the secondary market is causing manufacturers to significantly up the MSRP on release of their whiskeys. So they get a larger share of the money that the market is willing to pay. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you and I both know that you're looking around, there's a lot of things that sell for $100 that don't deserve that price. They were $30 and $40 and fine whiskeys at that price, uh, you know, 20, 24 or 30 months ago. Uh, but they don't deserve $100 right now, but they're selling. Yeah. So what we don't want is to see the cigar industry turn into, uh, uh, you know, a place that's driven by the secondary market, you know, by the greed of flippers. And there are guys out there that, that you know, that make a living off selling the cigars that no one else can get their hands on. No, true. Very true. Mm-hmm. All right. So what I want to do is I got one more housekeeping item and then we'll get into some final segments here, some final topics. Um, and this is the great things are happening here segment. And that's sponsored always by Tobacco RSA, makers of iconic brands. This is Monte Cristo, Romeo Huya, H. Upman and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco RSA, great things are happening here. So this is where we pick a good news story instead of talking about bad stuff like uh, and Bear and I really love this segment. Now, Bear, can I go first this week? Please, go ahead. Because I, I, found, a, I found a story that I think it probably is going to hit Pete and Bear a little more. You know, it's probably, it, it kind of, I just felt that it was in their realm house. And uh, it is a dog story. So I knew this was like a good pick, right, to have a, a, a good dog story. And the story is on the world's tall, I guess they have, proclaim the world's tallest dog um so in other words you know in terms of height from the ground up they have um they have determined that there's a great dane whose name is zeus and i'm gonna put a picture up of this dog and the dog is in texas of course right so that's kind of <laughs> where the bear connection is and um uh, it is uh let's see if i can get this one up uh there, uh, that's Zeus, three feet, uh, a little over five inches high. Um, so I, I guess they officially just 
declared that that was the record. It was certified. Um, and like I said, Zeus is a dog that is is found in Texas. Um, and uh, he would be. It, I mean, where else would it be, right? I guess the title was achieved on March twenty second, two thousand twenty two, and uh, it's a um, owned by someone by the name of Brittany Davis. And she said, "Ever since I was a little girl, I wanted a great dame named Zeus." Her dream became a reality when her brother gifted her an eight week old Zeus uh, to her, and uh, and then eventually the dog just grew. <laughs> so, uh, and I think I think great danes are absolutely beautiful dogs. I like I like a big dog. So. Um, that that you know that's how good news story and i guess the guinness book of world records certified this so if you once you're certified by the guinness book of world records you're in the record book and, and zeus now holds that record wow yeah. three three feet five inches tall three feet which again you don't think about that with dogs right but think about a dog that's three feet five i mean that, that's 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 tall for a dog yeah just wait till he jumps on you yeah, yeah. <laughs> when yeah. he jumps on you, he's the size of Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna actually, I'm just gonna do one more share here because this actually was really cool. When I saw it, it's like, look, look at that, look at that again, look at the height of that dog Holy. next to that guy. I mean, that's a that's a that's a pretty amazing thing, but you get you get three feet five inches, and eh, but that's the case, yeah. That's insane, yep, that is crazy, yep, right. I so love very, I love I, Great Danes. I love them. I'll, I'll absolutely. I love Great Danes too. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, it's funny. I don't have any dogs. My daughter and her husband have three dogs. Um, and that's making up, I guess, for not having a dog all, all my life. But uh, I don't hate dogs. Like, it's like, but I don't, I, unfortunately, it just, I wasn't in a position to take care of them like they need to. So uh, I'm, they're drawn I'm, to you, though. They're drawn. Oh, they always are. You've seen it every time the dogs come up to me every time. <laughs> uh and, and it's great I, I love it and then but it's like a, i feel like the grandparents someone else could has to take it home and then you know it's the part. all right bear what do you got this week well, i've got a i've got a really cool story um so the the, the story starts actually uh pretty far back there was a uh there was a 2007 film uh biopic called the great debaters it starred uh uh, starred Denzel Washington, who played Melvin Tolson, who mm. was a an educator, a poet, columnist, politician, uh, and a professor at Wiley College, again here in Texas, Marshall, Texas. Uh, and of course, the the story goes they his debate team eventually debated uh, the Harvard debate team, and and uh, the the movie goes revolves around that. Well, Wiley Wiley College uh, his has been a renowned institution of and a historically black college um, and for uh, for well over a century and everything. And uh, so I think we can all agree the last few years have been really difficult for a lot of us. And uh, it was really cool that this uh, this recent graduating class uh, from Wiley College just a few days ago um, on the 14th of May, uh, was astounded to find out that every single person, 100 students were assembled for the, this was the 133rd graduation class of Wiley College. And President and CEO, Dr. Herman Felton Jr. announced that every single person that was graduating that day had their balances paid off by an anonymous donor. Wow. So, uh, I mean, as a person who just paid off his college debt, this was awesome to hear that there's these hundred students that now get to 
they get to start, they get to start their professional careers, whatever, you know, avenue that they choose in with, uh, unburdened. With, with unburdened. Yeah. Without anything holding them back, uh, financially speaking. And, and, uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, it, it really it spoke to me personally. Like I said, I, I recently paid off my college loans, but there were, there were some dark days when I, when I, when I graduated from school and, and, uh, and, and, you know, couldn't afford a lot of things. And I was paying, you know, quite a bit in college loans back and everything. And, uh, you know, for these, for these hundred young men and women to, uh, have the, uh, this opportunity and, and whoever the anonymous donor was Bravo. Um, it, it just, it spoke to me personally. And I just thought it was, I thought it was a really cool story. So I, I love this segment, love sharing these stories. I think they're fantastic. Great, great job there. As always, uh, like I said, we, we do love this segment and that's how great things are happening here. Segment sponsored by tobacco or you say, will you find the good news for a change? All right. I want to go back to we. I love how this conversation has been progressing bear with the agenda. It's amazing how it's been kind of going mm-hmm. through the agenda really well. But I want to go back to the limited edition uh, uh, we were talking about. And this is a question for Pete and George. And my question to both of you guys is, do you think in 2022 the limited edition market is healthy in the cigar in the premium cigar industry? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think it depends I, on. I think it depends on the company you're talking about. I think so. That's kind of. I think that would be my case. That would definitely be my case. Like Pete, I, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, I agree with that. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. The market is crowded with too many special editions, limited offerings. Uh, you know, one-time releases. Blah blah blah. However you want to want to phrase it, there are too many people striving for the extra coin that comes with that without having put in the work to actually offer something that deserves that unique status. But I think, again, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, more and more and more, I think you're seeing consumers that are smart enough to go, hey, you know, I'm not going for that. I, I, I don't need that. Um, and and I think that you're you know we, maybe what you're shading towards Coop is the idea that there's a little bit of pushback in the marketplace right now where people are going well yeah if I know it's something if I trust the maker if I understand the blend it's something I'm interested in they're all in on it and price doesn't matter they're going to buy it absolutely right. they're going to buy it and they're going to buy whatever they can get their hands on but. That does not mean that every consumer is reacting the same way. I still think there's plenty of people that are out there that are using their judgment and going, eh, that's not for me. I can't do that. Whether it's because it's just a price issue, whether it's because the idea of limited edition availability just annoys them, or whether it's because they go, I smell a rat and this is not worth the money they're asking. I'm not paying it. God bless. I think that's great. There's there's nothing wrong with being in a marketplace where there are some people who are willing to pay any price just so they can say they have it. There's nothing wrong with being in a marketplace where we have a great percentage of sophisticated consumers who know what they love and want to buy only that. And they're resistant to all the other, this is the newest, greatest thing. And they're like, no, give me the cigars that come from these guys that I trust. And if they bring out a limited edition and it's my size, I'm buying it. No questions asked. At the same time, it's not a bad thing for the market to have a bunch of stupid consumers who are you know, the latest people in the marketplace and go, oh, it's a limited edition. I better buy that. Right. But what I think 
is that we are progressing, we are growing in terms of the overall experience and judgment that comes with that from consumers so that plenty of them are out there now that are far enough along in their, in their arc of, of going from cigar newbie to cigar nerd, getting into all of the, you know, the listings and all the information that's out there to people who understand their own tastes and value, uh, you know, that they have confidence in their own judgment. And those people are like, nah, I don't need that. I don't need the, uh, I don't need the fancy. That's, that's a good point. You know, it was interesting because Bear at the beginning of the show, he talked about the monster series and the iconicness of that series. And I go back a couple years ago when the monster series actually Pete released Karloff, uh, which actor series and Karloff, in my opinion, was very much a, a and I'm not just saying because Pete's on the show, but I've said this before. It was a litmus test that what Pete's doing is still really healthy. Because think about how hard that cigar was to get. That was not yeah. an easy cigar to get mm. uh, by any means. And it was well, an active trade market too. An active trade market after the fact. Yeah. Oh, a, a very active after trade market. Yeah. No doubt. No but, doubt. So, but that's that's sort of what we're talking about. Yeah. Is that it goes back to who's yeah. doing this exactly. There are very few people that have achieved that kind yeah. of loyalty in the marketplace. Yes. Yeah. Right, who are single-minded right. about I have to have these, right? I, and, I think conservatively so. Go ahead, Pete. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just thinking. You know, like I think really the the focus though is a lot of brands that have tried to do the limited edition market or the game, for lack of better words. A lot of times they don't have a single core line product that actually really does well. Yeah, and it's hard, yeah, it's yeah, that hard was my for them earlier, to yeah. come out with a limited edition when they can't even sell their core line. I, 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 this is kind of a weird thing, but I heard Celine Dion talk about how if you have a couple classics, you really don't have to do anything else in life. And you think about some of the greatest songs she's ever done. She doesn't ever, ever have to sing again. She's right. made those classics and they'll get replayed and replayed and replayed and replayed. And you think about cigar brands. Fuente really doesn't have to do much anymore because they have Hemingway, they have Don Carlos, they have Opus X. Mm-hmm. You know, the Garcias don't have to do much other than Florida Las Antillas and Le Bijou. Uh, Padron, obviously, Padron 64 and 26s, they don't really have to do much more. They can come out with those special run projects, but they have a great core line to start with. But both companies are also the reason why they earned that loyal following is because they don't stop. They're not just sitting there saying, we've already made these things. We've got our hits and we can just keep playing them. You know, we're going to we're going to be the uh, on the oldies tour. Uh, No, because they continue to strive. They continue Mm -hmm. to work at uh, at their craft, at their art, at understanding new tobacco, at meeting the challenges that are that are there. And, and continuing to, to evolve at the same time that they have this powerful portfolio that everybody wants to be a part of. And by the way, when you, you, let, you, you mentioned uh, uh, you know, probably the, the right uh, triumvirate, the, the initial people that will make the Mount Rushmore of, uh, of the post-boom era of cigars, right? But how about the fact that Oliva is creeping up into that territory too? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, look, what I, I agree. 
I totally agree with you on that one. So, so and, 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 you know, let's, let's give respect where it is due. Uh, they, they, they never worked themselves the same way. Uh, and they, and they, and they were sort of overlooked by consumers for a long time, but now they have absolutely muscled their way into the stage of, this is a great company with great brands and a portfolio and they keep releasing hits. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and you know, I, I think Pete, we've talked, I know, cause you know, Corey and we've talked to Corey on this show. Um, I think they've done a good job with that, you know, since the sale. Uh, of certainly keeping that brand consistent, and uh, you know, I, I think they actually grew. I actually think. I they mean, grew. I, I know I they. I, I knew they grew as a company, but I think they actually have more consumer respect now mm. than they ever did. I I agree. Mm. I agree, and this is you know an example of uh, of you know Jay Cortez looking at them their core competencies and not getting in the way and it kind of giving them the ability to grow those core competencies, uh, you know, with the renovation of factor. I, I, I agree with you, Pete. I, I mean, I, we've, I've been on some of these shows and people are just like, well, we was not on social media that much, blah, blah, blah. But if you look at what Leave is doing and the moves they're making and, and what they're producing, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think it's very bright. What we're going to see from them. Yeah. It's a good company. And, and Corey's Corey's manning that ship very well. He is. He's doing a great job of, of that. Um, yeah, we really enjoyed the conversation we had with him. You but know, to our point about coveted course and everything, like that, there's an there's an example like Oliva. You know, the and, and this is no disrespect to the Milano for for what it is. It's a it's a fantastic cigar. But I mean, give me and give me an Oliva V, the original, all day, every day over the Milano, and it's because of that consistency, because of that. Uh, that core competency that they've built around that particular about that specific line specifically and price, and, that price for the well, and, and price too yeah price, right. price as it were definitely is helps it a little bit but um but i i again it goes back it goes back to to the to the core of it and that's what i meant earlier when i said i want to phrase this question correctly because i i know Pete well enough to know that I'm not, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a slide at him. Cause I know he does limited editions because he does have like Brown label and let's not forget things like Fausto, which I think is, is probably, right. probably the uh, worst kept secret in the industry, as far as like just staple that you should have in your humidor. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a cigar that performs time and time again. And, um, and yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, we could list, we, I mean, we could list other ones and, and uh, I still, I would still love to see La Casita Criollo come back, just plant and let seed a little bit more. So um, it's got to be in the wet pack though. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's, that's going to be a lot of talking to, I mean, we're, we're very lucky that, that Jaime has been able to secure a lot of Connecticut broadleaf, but I'm always weary of trying to convince him to do another 100% broadleaf cigar. Maybe it will be a variation of of the cigar, but not 100% again. Too much broadleaf to use. I'm not pushing it, Pete, because you I, gave I, me a lot but, of but the wet pack, so I'm happy. The wet packing, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. 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 You guys... I, because, George, you know me. I love the ugliest cigar in the box. Absolutely. Right. I love the ugliest cigar in the box, and People would look at Henry Clay's back Henry in the day Clay's. Yeah, there and, you go. and go, 
who smokes those? And those are the room, those things, the beauty is in their ugliness, right? And that's why I love seeing what, what uh, Newman is doing with the Yagua. Yeah. That, well, yeah. That's a cool looking cigar. And honestly, I would grab that in an instant because I love the fact that it's just there. It's there's there's nothing pretty about it. It's just and it's a fun cigar to smoke. A perfectly gear to ugly gear. cigar. Yeah, it's a fun yeah. cigar to smoke year to year, see what the vintage does and how they've gone through the process with it. I, I find that a very fun smoke already to smoke. We uh George, you were kind of mentioning um and Ghana's limited you mentioned two names, Padron and Fuente. Mm-hmm. Now it's sounding like the they haven't officially announced it yet. That but they've already announced that there's this planned Padron Fuente collaboration. Uh, I think it's going to happen at the trade shop, but they haven't made an official announcement, so I don't want to say that. Yeah. I'm assuming this thing is going to happen at some point, right? I don't. I don't think it's just going to be something they put out there. Historically, George, how do you put this into perspective with a release like that coming out at the trade show? Um, it'll be spectacular conversation. It will be a complete snob show. Oh, I had it. I already tried it. I I, I got to smoke this, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be the one-upsmanship game all over. It's going to be a trophy buy for retailers who are going to brag about the fact that they were one of the people who got this product and put it on their shelf. And my guess is that 50% of the people who buy it are never going to smoke them. They're going to hang on to them. They're going to hold the boxes. They're going to be like, oh, you know, this is going to be, and they're not going to do it because they went think, oh, well, these are going to get much better. They're going to do it because they're thinking somebody's going to want these cigars uh, in, in, in a couple of years, because as far as I can smell, it's a one and done deal, you know, based on, uh, on what a, a labor of love or, or a trial it has been to, uh, get this project to market, um, it's not a, uh, you know, you're not talking about an annual event. Right. Um, and it, but, but it'll be an interesting exercise if only for, you know, it's the old story of the football coach. I can take mine and beat yours and I can take yours and beat mine. Right. So, so there's, and by the way, they won't be the first people to have tried a cross factory or cross country collaboration. No. Face off. Face off. Yeah. I mean, come on, think about it. There, we've we've seen, but but by the way, um, mostly the market doesn't um, the, the, the market doesn't respond as enthusiastically as you, we would hope. And part of that is because you have to think about uh, who's the who's the who's the organic buyer for these, right? And 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 if you think about it, it's a divided group, right? So you're going to have the Fuente fans who go, okay, well, you know, this is interesting, but but clearly George Padron doesn't know how to handle the Fuente's tobacco inventory the way they do. And uh, the other half is going to be the the, the Nicaraguan Padron uh, only ride or die who say. What the fuck do these guys from the Dominican Republic know about uh, <laughs> making a, a, right, right, a yeah. cigar, right? And uh, and they, they don't understand how to work the secret ingredient of Padron. Uh, and and it's going to be it'll be one of these things that I think is going to be explosive and a great topic for conversation. And nerds are going to geek out over it all together. And then it's going to go away, and that'll be that. And and uh, two years I'll later, tell you, I'll tell you straight up that. Uh, 
people know that, you know, I, I smoke a lot of what we have in our portfolios and I don't buy a lot of cigars anymore, but I'm going to buy both of those because I'm excited about yeah. it. Of course. But, but, but you're excited. You're excited for it on a, on a, a both a professional and a personal level, because yeah. you're, you're engaged by the idea that these two people in the industry that you really respect and the company that they have at their command are taking a, a whack at something like this, which is a, you know, it's a challenge. It's stepping out. Right. So yeah, we want, we're going to want to have these. Uh, but the question is going to be whether or not we're bragging about having them a few years later when they're all gone. Right. right? And we go, well, you know, I, 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 that's, it was, you know, Go ahead. Okay, this is the big question. This is the big question. If they do release it this year, yeah. are they both going to be on the top 25? Are they both going to make the top 25? And who's going to beat the other? Yeah, right. who's going to be number three? Oh, that's, gonna... that's easy. Fuente's going to be Padron because Padron has got the number one. <laughs> Done. Oh, you're you're already doing the calculations. Yeah, done. You're doing you're doing the political game playing. Uh, but but you know the great thing would be if cigar aficionado said, oh no, you know they're not widely available enough, and they're and they're not an uh, an enduring. So we're not even going to include them in the uh, in the in the yeah, top twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Both of them will be sitting there. Yeah, that would that would be a shame. Right, but 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 the thing is. You know as well as I do, Pete, that, that there are going to be people who judge these cigars based on their personal allegiances, not on what the cigar is actually saying to them. Yeah, and, That's the, and the impact, and the impact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but what I'm more interested in, and this is purely from a selfish asshole point of view, I want to know which one sells better. Right. In other words, I want to know if the uh, Padron made Fuente cigar or the Fuente made Padron cigar sells out quicker. Yeah, that's a tough one. That is tough. That's a tough one, because like when when Lito and Christian did the face off. You know, I think back then I was probably rooting for for Lito's to sell better. Um, Even though I had relationships with both companies. Yeah. I, I I really felt that that Lido had a little bit broader audience at the time. Christian was at a disadvantage in terms of his uh, power base. Yeah, I think I think this one's going to be a real tough uh, a, a close race. Yeah. I think they're both going to sell equally and equally as quick because people are going to want to buy both, like myself. People are going to want to buy. Listen, if, if, to me, to my way of thinking, if you buy one, you've got to buy the other. Yeah. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, the, the smart way to do it would be for them to sell a box, which is 50 50. Yeah. 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 A mixed box would be nice. Yeah. But to, to go back to I, I keep going back to hearkening the uh, the monster series, but to go back to the, the tiff and the chuck there, Pete, like, I mean, we had that discussion before the two chucks and the tiff for the two tiffs and the chuck. Mm-hmm. Like based on George's assessment about allegiances, like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to get both. But. I'm a Padron guy. I'm going to get the two Padrones and the one Fuente or I'm a, I'm a Fuente guy. I'm going to get the two Fuentes and then the Padron. So exactly. Yeah. 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 True. We're, you know, you're going to see that and you know that there are going to be people who are, you know, tracking it um, for reasons, both of pride and of, uh, you know, hubris. 
and 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 it, it's look, it's epic when in our business two people like that come together and decide to take that chance. It is. It, it, it's a historic true. thing. So very, very, it's definitely true. Yeah, and I think it is a historic thing for sure. It's like um, if that happens at this year's trade show, it's going to be the story of the trade show. Yeah, and 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 again, like I said, it's going to be the uh, it's going to be the exercise in snobbery. I've had it, right. you know. You didn't. I right. bought it. I got, I got it. it. I got you it. Know? You didn't. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Yep. And so, uh, by the way, uh, again, it's all energy that can be made positive, right? In other words, whatever, what the, the, all of the aspects of the reaction can just be um, fuel for the fire for, uh, for, 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 you know, the state of the art, the health of the industry. So there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but you know, there's going to be people who look at it from the, like I said, they're, they're, they're going to be in their corners going, okay, well, this was obviously better because, and, and it'll, you know, it'll, it'll sort itself out, but it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Agree. All right. So, I want to ask one more question before we wrap it up and, and bear, I'm gonna, I was going to pick one of the rapid fire questions. I don't think we could go through all of them because we will be here till four in the morning. <laughs> so do you have one that you wanted to ask bear or do you want me to pick one? Um, well, I think we've already kind of hit some of sort these, of yeah. tackled, tackled B. Um, so um, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, let's see can we do two and you pick one and i pick one yeah okay yeah we'll do two if you if they're okay unless and, and i'll let you go and, and then if you pick mine then we'll just leave it at one okay fair enough yeah okay. i was gonna pick a okay i have a different okay. one go okay so the question is and these come from our buddy aaron loomis who actually came up with these rapid fire questions uh for the other for the thursday show but they're good questions so and the question for both of you guys is, if there's one thing you can change about retail tobacconists, what would it be? <laughs> wow. This is, that's a Loomis question. <laughs> oh. way, to throw, way to throw Aaron under the bus there. Yeah, you're no, the one who asked I, I, it. But I, I, this, this is a Loomis question, though. No, but that we'll use them tonight, so we take responsibility. The, the, the one thing, the one thing that uh, that that should be changed for retail tobacconists to their benefit, to the consumer's benefit, and to the manufacturer's benefit is that they make a committed effort to educating their staff. Agree. I I, I agree. Hundred um, percent. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that a lot because I mean, invest, we, we do a lot of training it. sessions. Yeah, we we do a lot of retail training sessions, and I I agree. I think it's I love working with the retailer that wants his staff to know everything about what's in the humidor. Right. You'll do anything for those people. Yeah, I think the one thing I could change, and it's 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 you know not everybody. There's a lot of great retailers out there, but there are a few people that that just, you know, sit down on their chair and they wait for the register to ring. I think right. uh, mm -hmm. if you have a customer coming in the store, the, the, the smartest question or the dumbest question, just get up and answer it. doesn't matter. Just educate your, con your consumer base too. Don't wait for your register to ring. Get out there and, and make it ring. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. And, 
and thrive on thrive on those repeat questions too. Don't pull the yeah. don't pull the don't pull the Reddit line of like, well, I answered that last week, you know, no. or whatever. You know, I I I loved answering some of the same questions over and over again because it just meant that new new blood and new people were coming into the humidor and asking some of those those common questions and everything. That was it was one of the most enjoyable things about it. Yeah. And you besides, know, your answer your answer can evolve. You know, yeah. You can, you can get better at answering the question. It's true. Absolutely. It's true. You know, I saw Eric Parkinson. And hopefully, and hopefully I did. Yeah. I saw Eric Parkinson in the chat earlier. He's a, he's our my father uh, in North Carolina. And uh, I mean, I've seen him do a training session on my father for staff uh, at my local shop. And it's, I'm telling you, there's a lot of value in doing that. So Pete, I'm glad you're doing that well, with your retailers well, as well. Eric is a student of George also. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Yes, I take, we all I take, we all get it. We all wow, get it from somewhere. Okay, yeah, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. He is he's the best, but I remember Eric when he was too young to smoke. Oh, wow. <laughs> no. I loved Eric's dad. Yeah. I, 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 by the way, shout out, shout out to Eric because he's an awesome dude. A he great. Is. I got to sit in on his training session, and believe me, I was like a sponge that day. I learned so much um that day. So so yeah, I'm just you believe me when you get guys like that and you see them work with the re and by the way, I got a shout out to Taylor Smoke, which was the shop that was mm -hmm. doing the training was, as well. Was doing um, the training. Yeah, so that give big shout out to them as well. Um, I know they're gonna be getting back on track with some of that. With with COVID, it was tough to do some of these, but I think they're getting back with that, which is great. Great. Yeah. Cool. All right. So Bear, you got your question? I do. Because I know I know both of you all are very passionate about this organization. Um, but we always want we always want things to be better. We want ourselves to be better. We want you know consumers to be better, retailers to be better, as we just talked about a moment ago. So if you could change one thing about the PCA, what would it be? I think they're working on. It. I think it's more about communication. That's been the the biggest downfall for most of the organizations in the industry. There's never been enough communication to their base. And, you know, if you think about the PCA, they're just starting to uh, bring in the manufacturers even more, even though that they've been called a, a retail association, they're not a retail association anymore. They're, they're an association for the whole industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they're, they're making steps to be better about that. Uh, yeah. I think they're, uh, they're embracing the idea that uh, they can get better at serving both of their constituents. Uh, in other words, the associates who, uh, who effectively pay the bills, uh, in other words, the exhibitors at the, at the shows. Uh, and, but, they're, but they've also been um, trying aggressively to be to their retail members. And that was a mission that they were failing for a long, long, long time. And so it's great to see um, that they're uh, uh, thinking about it. And it doesn't matter whether these are forced changes or not. In other words, uh, you know, the, the, the PCA is, they've, they've endured, uh, you know, think about it. I mean, in, in my time, uh, you know, I, I went to RTDA shows for 25 years and then it was the IPCPR, you know, uh, and, and now we have the PCA. And, and their, uh, uh, you know, change <laughs> to something, to, to, to a show and an organization, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, which is, which is, you know, the sole 
organization and trade show for the entire business is a heavy burden, right? In other words, sorry. Um, so it, the, the idea that, that um, now they're under all this pressure because there are other people competing uh, you know, <laughs> you have the TPE show coming along and and, uh, and 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 different factions trying to pull away. We need to support the PCA now more than ever. <coughs> Sorry, I apologize. Yeah, I, I agree. But we need we need more than anything for them to retain their title as the voice of our industry and the people who are best. Uh, they they deserve they deserve uh, everybody's support for, for for one thing just for enduring right and and the fact that they're trying in their own way to meet the challenges of a modern marketplace which is worlds different than it was when I started going to the show in you know 1974 75 so uh, you know the 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 the, the retail environment is is such a, a blood sport now you know I mean it's such it's, it's so much hand-to-hand -hand combat and all the disadvantages that they face are remarkable. And so um, the entire industry you know, needs to, to wake up and recognize that we all gotta be marching in one direction. We can't be fighting with each other because when we do that, there's, there's always a flank that we leave exposed. And as an industry that has been under attack for as long as we are to have endured and thrived under the most challenging circumstances. Like if, if you think about the fact that the, that the industry actually managed to stay healthy through the COVID era, it's insane. Yep. It's such an accomplishment. And it speaks, to, it speaks to the uniqueness of the property that makes us all excited and, and, and do this, you know, spend our hours uh, talking about this, the quality of and the and the range of fantastic handmade cigars that are out there now have cemented themselves as an important part of the lives of the people who appreciate it, and they were willing to go to any lengths in order to keep that going during the most difficult time. So the industry, the industry organizations need to respect the fact that we have that incredibly loyal fan out there and we've got to, we've got to do our best to work together, not against each other. 100%. I agree, I agree with yep. both. Yeah, I agree with those both points. To your, to your point, uh, Pete, about communication, I, I do agree. Uh, the, 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 the change from my first trade show that I covered just a few years ago to last year's trade show is night and day in terms night of day. I was going to say that they have made major strides. I, I can just tell you that major. So, so uh, to, to that question, I'll, 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 I'll celebrate, follow. celebrate it. Be, you know, be good about that. Be positive and let people yeah, know. Not perfect, but again, so we, and I think we've been hitting that George, hopefully in shows, but again, and I go back even 10 years ago, how bad it was. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, this is a this is an organ. I think they've really tried. And I'm gonna say it's not just communicating with the media, by the way. It's consuming. It's communicating with their oh, no. base. I, go look at their Instagram page. Okay, how effective mm -hmm. they're they're using their Instagram page like a model. Like that's how I would be using it. They're promoting advocacy. They're promoting the trade show. They're having a little bit of fun mixed in there. That's what I would expect. And and so I think they're they're communicating 
very well right now. And they can only go even further up. So I, I'm very happy from what I'm seeing with them right now. Absolutely. Good. All right. So, guys, I want to first of all, I want to thank you guys very much. I know we kept you guys a long time. Um, well, we have you guys already booked for the 2027 show, which is good. There you go. Uh, but we'll, hopefully we're going to do this before that. And I'm, I'm serious. Thank you guys so much. Uh, yes. This was an incre- incredible conversation. We've learned a lot. I know our audience has learned a lot for sure. Um, I consider both of you guys friends and we and the support's been greatly appreciated. And uh, so thank you. And I want to thank our audience and sponsors as well. Pete, thank you for the support you've given us. Too. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been incredible. So, uh, Bear, I don't know what you have to add to that. No, I, I not not too much, Coop. I know I'm a I know I'm a man of words, um, mm-hmm. but um, it's just been it's been an incredible opportunity to spend the last five years uh, sitting across the screen from you, having conversations like tonight. Uh, although this one uh, took it to another galaxy, so we 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 have a new yeah. standard uh, to hear, which which I'm always up for a challenge. But yeah. um, it's been it's been the privilege of uh, it's been the privilege of my career in this industry uh, to to work alongside with you and to to have great conversations like these two esteemed gentlemen um, that we got to speak with tonight. It's it's an absolute honor. Um, I could not have imagined a better fifth year anniversary show. Um, Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you so much, George, incredible, for agreeing to be yeah. here tonight. Uh, just all of your words and all of the support and all that you do. Um, most importantly, all that you both do uh, for this industry. So thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, well said, Bear. Thank you very much. Thank you. you know, yeah, no, Bear, perfect. That was perfect. Couldn't said it better. All right, so guys, just a couple quick programming notes as we wrap up. Uh, Thursday nights are our regular primetime uh, episode 227, uh, and we are uh, Bears actually going to be uh, co-hosting with me that night, um, and we are going to have on our as a special guest Terrence Riley. So uh, Bear will be filling in for Aaron. Uh, Aaron will be back the following week uh, for primetime episode 228. And the guests will be uh, probably, oh, excuse me, sorry, sorry, 228 is Terrence Riley. I, I, I'm losing track of my numbers. 228 is Terrence Riley this Thursday. 229 next week, uh, Aaron will be back. We'll have Luciano Morales of Ace Prime. Oh, uh, cool. Week. Yeah, so uh, one of the. Good dude. Good dude. Yeah, one of the yeah stars, real good so. dude. Very cool. Yep. yep. Uh, Bears will be taking a well-deserved vacation. Uh, he needs it. Um and so we will, our next Tuesday show won't be till June 14th and it will be Michael Herklotz on. So uh, really, Bear and I have not talked to him together before. So that's going to be, uh, so we got a lot going on in the next few weeks. Cool. Good lineup. Yep. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks again. Thank you to our audience for the past five years and going forward. Uh, you guys are, you guys are awesome. So um that's going to wrap up Primetime Special Edition uh, 121 into Annals of History for this Tuesday, uh, May 17th. Now Wednesday, May 18th on the East Coast. We'll see everybody again on Thursday night. Take care, everybody. Right. See you next time. Peace. 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 Thank you.